does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. So Buddy Heald is on his way to Philadelphia. And the trade deadline actually goes over the course of this show. Three o'clock is the trade deadline in the National Basketball Association. You know, when you think about it, it's a huge advantage for teams in the East as opposed to the West. Because if you're a Western Conference team, you got to get up early, right? Got to attack the day, baby. You're like, hey, we're done by noon. Yeah. But if you are just tuning in to the radio today, if you are just finding out this information, we will get this to you right off the top. Buddy Heald, who has been a good player for the Pacers, and this year is on an expiring contract that will pay him in totality for the season just over $18.5 million, but that contract expires at season's end. Buddy Heald was offered or in negotiation for a contract extension, contract extension, easy for me to say, at the beginning of the season or during the offseason, declined the terms that the Pacers or the ballpark that the Pacers had for him. So knowing that his contract was coming to an end at the end of the year and there was the chance that he would then walk in free agency and you get nothing in return, Buddy Heald has been dealt. So he goes to the city of brotherly love, and in exchange, the Pacers received the following. Um, Furkan Korkmaz, who is a Turkish-born player, he's 6'7". He has not played more than 27 minutes in any game this year. He has a salary obligation of $5.7 million through the end of the season, that contract, too, expires. Marcus Morris, who is a journeyman in the NBA for certain, a 6'8 player, kind of a, a bigger 6'8, kind of reminds me of Dwayne Farrell if we're going in Pacer names of yesteryear, but a 40% three-point shooter, but very rotational, not the minutes logged of Buddy Heald. He has an obligation this season of $17 million financially for the totality of this season that also expires at the end of the year. Uh, The Pacers, by the way, also receive three draft picks. The 2024 second-round pick of the Toronto Raptors, the 2029 second-round pick of the Portland Trailblazers, and the 2029 second-round pick of the Los Angeles Clippers. Philadelphia Inquirer also reports $1.5 million in cash as well. So I know that's key that to would, get that, that money in well, there. Well, that too. would make sense. You're talking that, and I'm assuming, just by looking at it, that Indiana must be sending $1.5 million in cash, or are they getting that back? They're getting it back. Because they've got a, you know, there comes totality of, it's got to come within 80% of salary ranges. There's all kinds of numbers that come into there. So they have to balance that out. That's from Keith Pompey, covers the Sixers for the Philly Inquirer, and it's in a story that, Yahoo Sports did on the entire trade. So $1.5 million in cash coming to, to Cambridge. So can it start, you think, right away? That's right. It, can it shoot? 
Here's what it means. Everybody, you know, ask the question, what does this mean? What do you think? What's your reaction? Uh, my name is Jake Query, by the way. This is Query Company on 93.5107.5 The Fan. That was Jimmy Cook you just heard from. Um, my thought up front is this. Buddy Heald is the ultimate teammate. Buddy Heald is the guy that when you're in an office meeting and everybody's like sitting there and you're tired or you're grumpy or tempers are starting to flare or somebody's hungry and you can't agree on what to get on the pizza, Buddy Heald's the guy that keeps things loose. Buddy Heald is the consummate pro. Now, reputation of Buddy Heald is when they go on the road, Buddy Heald is kind of like Roy Kent. Like, after, as soon as they, or, or Jamie Tart in the beginning of Ted Lasso, that Buddy Heald is a guy that when they go on the road and they get to the hotel and they have their team meeting and walk through and then they have shoot around the next day at noon and they've got an off night, like no one's really sure where Buddy Heald goes. I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying like he's a guy that will go out and explore and kind of a man about town, but he was always the first one to be on time and be professional and show up. There was never a complaint about the professionalism, the ego, any of that with Buddy Heald. You're not saying much like Jamie Tart, he needs to make that extra pass. That's not what you're going for there. What's that? You're not saying just like Jamie Tart, he needs to make that extra pass. That, correct. That's not what you're going for there. I am not going there. <laughs> he was more Buddy Heald was like Jamie was off the court was like Jamie Tart at the beginning of Ted Lasso and and on the court and in the locker room, he was basically what Jamie Tart was at yeah. the end of it, right? Yeah. The the consummate pro. But Buddy Heald, truth be told, came kind of as an enticing throw in or a salary match throw in to an extent with the Tyrese Halliburton trade. When Domas Sabonis was traded to Sacramento, Buddy Heald was sent from Sacramento to here. Yes, he filled a need because he was a good shooter. And he was more than just a salary throw in. Obviously, he was a guy that was a starter for the Pacers. But Buddy Heald's true purpose once he arrived and once the Pacers saw what they had in Tyrese Halliburton then Buddy Heald's job his purpose his role his benefit was he came as Tyrese Halliburton's comfort blanket truthfully when you when you adopt something and they go well you know these two are bonded Halliburton and Buddy Heald were kind of bonded and Buddy Heald was Halliburton's very close friend and especially when you know Tyrese Halliburton has talked a ton about going to Sacramento and just assuming when he got drafted in Sacramento that he a small town Wisconsin guy that played at Iowa State was going to grow roots in Sacramento and be like the face of the franchise and help build this blossom of the Kings and when Tyrese Halliburton got traded here it truly hurt him. It truly hurt him. And the transition and the hurt that came for Tyrese Halliburton with the trade to Indiana was somewhat softened or offset by the fact that he had his comfort blanket with him in Buddy Heald. Because Buddy Heald was always kind of his mentor big brother when he got into the NBA. And that was very important, not only for the Pacers, that was very important for Tyrese Halliburton, and I think important for Buddy Heald. But Tyrese Halliburton began to grow 
immediately on his own, and that comfort level transitioned into Tyrese Halliburton outgrowing the need, not for a best friend, but for that comfort blanket or that mentor. And Buddy Heald then, once Tyrese Halliburton signed a long-term deal with Indiana, Buddy Heald's value, I'm not going to say became unnecessary, but it was lessened a little bit because you no longer needed the comfort blanket for Tyrese Halliburton to stay in Indiana because he has 252 million reasons now that he's going to stay in Indiana. And Buddy Heald then, while a really good player, the reality is that Buddy Heald, based on his age and based on, to his credit, his production level, Buddy Heald had graduated to a point where the money it was going to cost to maintain him in Indiana during a time when it just didn't, I remember saying the timelines just didn't add up because he is now over the age of 30 and for the Pacers, they're going younger. And Benedict Matherin now, they have seen enough of Benedict Matherin to know they had a decision to make with Benedict Matherin. And one of them was, can Benedict Matherin be a guy that can play well with others and grow into being like a number three guy or a guy that can get his 20 a game within the structure of what they're doing as opposed to on nights when others are sitting and therefore he becomes a 20-point-per-game guy. Clearly with Benedict Matherin, they decided we need to see more minutes from this young guy and Buddy Heald, who has been a wonderful player, a wonderful soldier, a great part of the organization, and a great teammate. There are, I think, no ill feelings of the Pacers towards Buddy Heald. This was strictly finances. This was strictly business. And this was strictly moving and shifting the trajectory of the franchise from the immediate need of right now. And keep in mind, the Pacers had said a year ago, this is about a three to four to five year plan. It's not about win right now per se. They were absolutely ahead of schedule. But what the Pacers did today, Jimmy Cook, is the Pacers said what we are doing is we are sticking by our schedule of organic growth and not getting tempted by flashing lights of feeling like we've got to push all in right now and compromise the financial flexibility that we would have elsewhere moving forward. And so that's why this deal comes to fruition. For Buddy Heald, it should be an ovation next time he's at the field house and a thank you. He was a wonderful player here and a good soldier, and we wish him the best in Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I've always loved Buddy. I feel like Pacers fans that got to experience Buddy Heald the last couple of seasons should feel the same way. He brought a lot of fun energy to Cambridge Fieldhouse, and as Jake outlined there, always did things the right way, and there's no doubt from an offensive standpoint that he is a top shooter in the NBA, an instant offense adder, for whoever acquires him, or in this case, we know the answer to that, which is Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is a team that I mentioned Buddy Heald getting moved to a contender. They're kind of a pseudo-contender right now. Their season is probably done unless Joel Embiid is able to come back. They could still hang around and make the playoffs, but they're going to be on life support without him. So they needed to go get what they feel is instant offense. And they view it as an opportunity to add a shooter that they can pair with Tyrese Maxey and run an offense that will allow them to stay afloat and potentially hang around and maybe they get Embiid back before the end of the season. From the Pacers' side of things, this is a move, as you pointed out, that is full trust in Benedict Matherin, not just his growth this season, but next season and beyond. It also opens up the door for further minutes, you would think, 
for somebody like Ben Shepard in his rookie season. Maybe he's taking on more minutes within that bench role and he is playing the role of an extra shooter within this offense. Indiana can still do all the things they wanted to do this year. The departure of Buddy Heald via trade does nothing on my side to think they can't still be a legitimate playoff team. Not a play-in team, but a legitimate playoff team. There'll be some growing pains looking at who steps up first, whether it's Matherin, whether it's Shepard, without Buddy Heald, but they still have the trio in Pascal Siakam, in Miles Turner, and in Tyrese Halliburton, along with the role players in Benedict Matherin rising to do what they want to do this season. One other thing I would note about the salary aspect of all this, Jake, the Pacers, and we'll talk to Tony East a little bit later in the show about exactly this, the Pacers are going to have a hard time unless they want to gut the roster, acquiring a third superstar in the offseason. They're going to have to get creative to do it because of what they're going to owe to Pascal Siakam and what they're going to owe to Tyrese Halliburton unless they gut the roster or if they feel like they already have that third star in their building and that would be Benedict Matherin taking a massive leap forward in year three. Obviously, this opens the door to find out exactly what they have in Matherin. And then if they determine that Matherin, the the Pacers, what we know is this, okay? And by the way, uh, just got a text message. Jake, I am test driving a brand new Mustang with prospective customer Colin, and we have you on in the radio or on the radio in the car driving around. Colin, feel how smooth those ponies ride, buddy. (laughs) Feel how smooth that is in that Ford Mustang. Think about the expertise you have in your passenger seat of he who can guide you to the promised land in that car, and think about how smooth these dulcet tones sound coming through those speakers. Roll the Colin, window down. I got second. news for you. That's the car for you, buddy. You look good and you look sexy in that Mustang. That is a done deal, right? I don't know if you guys have mentioned this, um, but to add this to the concept of the trade with Marcus Morris and Furkan Korkmaz, the Pacers can only trade those two players individually. They can't attach another player to them, so they can't attach attach Obi Toppin in this in this instance if they were doing a trade with, let's say, the Clippers, because they have to be on the team for 60 days. If the, In order to trade Furkan Korkmaz or Marcus Morris, it would have to be a three-team trade prior to the official announcement of Buddy Heal being traded to the 76ers. So that lost me a little bit. So what, it, you're it, saying, what you're saying is these are pieces that they're not acquiring to immediately flip. They, they can, without but individually. Help. Without help. They, they can't right? attach them to other deals. Correct. They could trade them by themselves, but they cannot be a part of a three-player deal, and they have to be to, solo deals. They have to be traded prior to the official team announcement that they've traded Buddy Heald to Philadelphia. If they announce Buddy to Philly, then they cannot right. trade Marcus Morris or Furkan Korkmaz. Period, regardless if they're solo deals. Correct. So the only way well, they, they have to trade them one for one. So they could still do that after the trade gets finalized. So like I trade you Marcus right. Morris, you can trade me Terrence Mann. That's or a second-round pick, yeah. or whatever. Yes. Okay, okay. but... The in terms of the trade deadline that is three o'clock today, what we know now is this. We know that Buddy Heald is on his way to Philadelphia for two pieces who are also on an expiring contract. We know there is the possibility that Indiana could still be involved in other deals, and theoretically, Obi Toppin's name is the one to most pay attention to because they have a bit of a log jam when healthy at his position. And while a good player, he is one that probably has enough intrigue and is expendable enough 
that one would assume he could be moved elsewhere because now there is somewhat of a void for Indiana. You basically have to make a choice if you're the Pacers between now and not just the deadline, but this offseason. Who do you value more to bring back? Jalen Smith or Obi Toppin? Because you probably can't afford to keep both and they both basically play the same position. I know they do different things, but they are in that backup four role to a Pascal Siakam. The Obi Toppin situation, the reason why I think he would be the most expendable, I do think that Jalen Smith, they are very interested in trying to keep down, but they are intrigued as to what, because the assumption is this. So let's go back and reset it again. Buddy Heald has been traded to the 76ers in exchange for two players on expiring contracts. And in addition to that, other pieces a la three future second round picks and some cash to balance things out. There is nobody that assumes that either of the two players returning for Buddy Heald are players that the are going to be centerpieces for this season. What moving Buddy Heald does is theoretically allow them to do a further dive and assessment of Benedict Matherin to find out whether or not Benedict Matherin is a sufficient and the suitable and the can grow into kind of third role, assuming that Pascal Siakam signs long-term and you know that your Batman Robin is Siakam and Halliburton in no particular order, depending on matchups on any given night. And Matherin could be, one would assume, a... Really good third strike to that. But do they need to go out and get a veteran player in case Matherin's ascension is not within the timeline of what they want? That is for them to determine, but what they want to do is give themselves the financial flexibility, if need be, to be able to get a third player in the future to go along with Halliburton and Siakam if they determine that Matherin is not that guy. If Matherin is that guy, they now have, one would assume, the financial flexibility because of the fact that, for example, Aaron Neesmith is already locked in. You've already taken care of that. Andrew Nimhard, one would assume, is going to require a big pay raise, but he's got two years left, I believe it is, on the contract that he's under. Jalen Smith is a curveball in all of this because Jalen Smith, who was a guy that was buried in Phoenix, the Pacers traded for him. He showed really good sign. He took basically a hometown discount to to re-sign with Indiana when he came here on an expiring from Phoenix, and he signed a two-year deal with a player option after one of those years. That player option is this year. What does that mean? It means the following. It means that Jalen Smith, if he so chooses, can wipe out his contractual obligation to Indiana for next season. I think the Pacers are anticipating that Jalen Smith will do exactly that to see if his level of play, which has been good of late, has thus increased his price tag on the open market. And I think Indiana is putting themselves in position to be able to compete with that because I do think that he is a player that they would like to have in their rotation moving forward to go along with Isaiah Jackson, Miles Turner. Obi Toppin then would become expendable. So the real roll of the dice for the Pacers now, 
NBA roster building, NBA franchises, a lot of it is kind of like playing at the craps table in Las Vegas. And you got to hope you get on a hot streak and that you're making the right decisions and the right calls. And right now, they have made the decision that obviously they want to give up them some flexibility. I think they determined that they were not going to be able to retain Buddy Heald. They determined that Buddy Heald's biggest contribution, aside from his three-point shooting, was his alliance with Tyrese Halliburton, but Halliburton was signed. So we went over all that, but I do think that Smith is the next guy that they want to try to keep in the mix. They know there's going to be money to it. This gives them a little bit of freedom with it, and Obi Toppin, if you were able to flip him, even for another expiring deal or for future picks, would give you even that much more money. If we see between now and 3 p.m., Obi Toppin for sure traded from Indiana, and I don't know that that's a for sure, But if we see Obi Toppin traded, what that tells me is that Indiana looked at it and said, okay, in Buddy Heald's case, we feel comfortable that we can give those minutes and develop Benedict Matherin. And in Obi Toppin's case, if he's dealt, it means that they are comfortable giving those minutes and continuing to develop Isaiah Jackson and then Jalen Smith, assuming that you are able to bring him back. Eric has been pining about Colts or excuse me, Pacers trades for months. I'm assuming it's this Eric and joins us. Eric, what's up? Hey, Jake. Uh, I, I'm ecstatic about this trade. <laughs> and that's I, I, man, rare, I've Eric. Been, like, you know I've your stuff, man. I've been preaching, get a wing, and we didn't only get one, we got two of them. And but, what people are forgetting is, is four years ago, um, Marcus Morris should have won Defense Player of the Year four or five years ago when he was in Boston. LeBron's gone on record multiple times and said he's the toughest defender he's ever gone up against. Me and you went to that Clippers game, and we saw where they had three or four small forwards that they couldn't guard. All three of them scored between 30 to 40 points. Buddy Heald, Aaron Naismith, is the only small forward you have on that team. Um, And... I just I love the move because Buddy Heald was a shooting guard that you were putting on six foot seven, six foot eight small forwards, and he was getting killed out there. I just I love the moves. I don't and, know, uh, Eric, though, that Marcus Morris is a long term guy. You know what I mean? Like I, I think this is. I, I get. Listen. You're right in the fact that he might be able to give them something, but I don't think that Marcus Morris is a guy that's going to be with them long term. But, um. There is no doubt. Buddy Heald brings something to the table. He brings two things to the table. Buddy Heald. And I'm just going to keep, you're going to hear me say this till from now till three o'clock. You're going to be, people are going to be waiting for the trade, hoping the Pacers make another trade because they're going to get so tired of hearing me say this. But Jimmy, I truly believe it. In Buddy Heald's case, Buddy Heald brought the Pacers two things that he does as well as anybody in basketball. Quick trigger three-point shot and comfort level for a rising star the second part you don't need anymore he's got 252 million reasons to be comfortable and he's happy here and he's established now Tyrese Halliburton the training wheels are off right and then the other side of it is the three-point shooting I think for sure you're going to miss that but Buddy Heald was already showing some signs of that slowing down and considering that he's on the north side of 30 and the timeline of the Pacers, it wasn't going to add up, so eventually you were going to have to cut bait with that. Yeah, all this move really tells me is that they were seeing the writing on the wall 
of the timelines not being on the same lane of traffic for both Buddy Heald and the Pacers organization. Does Buddy Heald still have good basketball left in him? Yes. Will Buddy Heald likely get a fair amount of money this offseason as an unrestricted free agent? Absolutely, because somebody's going to still see a 31-year-old shooter that's maybe fit a timeline that's different than the Pacers right now to add to their rotation. I agree with you. I don't think any of the player pieces that the Pacers acquired, whether it's Korkmaz or Morris, are long-term additions to Indiana. They're both unrestricted free agents this year. Marcus Morris is 34. I suppose maybe you look at that and say, if the culture the Pacers have here is on a trajectory of they're going to be a contender next season, maybe he likes a, a veteran, maybe not a veteran minimum salary, but a smaller salary to stay here. Maybe he likes Indiana, or maybe he too wants to go try and chase a championship in the twilight of his career. It's really about believing what you already have on the roster, acquiring a couple more draft assets that you can move around in either future deals or planning three, four, five years down the road and trusting what Chad Buchanan and Kevin Pritchard have done the last couple of drafts in order to navigate through that chaos. But more than anything, it is a new lane for Benedict Matherin. It's a new lane for Ben Shepard. And it really allows you to still compete to make the playoffs and heck, maybe even win a playoff series this year with the roster you have right now, while also keeping an ongoing audition for what Benedict Matherin is for this team. And I've been pretty clear about it. I know Kevin said the same thing. I think he is going to take that leap forward and be the third piece that they're looking for on a proper timeline that matches better up with Tyrese Halliburton. Got a lot to talk about over the course of today. Coming up, we're going to talk about the All-Star Game. One of the representatives from the National Basketball Association that is helping put that together will join us on the program. Tony East coming up at 1 o'clock today. And Matt Verderam, talk a little Super Bowl, will join us at 1.30. But we will keep our eyes on the trade wire as well. It is, you name it, Price is Right Day, Let's Make a Deal Day, Fire Sale Day, NBA Trade Deadline which goes until 3 o'clock. So, too, does this show. Query and Company, 93.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. If you have not seen the documentary on this song, it's pretty cool, on Netflix. It's fantastic. I just watched it. Waylon Jennings watched the first 10 minutes, and then he left. I'm kidding, but that's what he did during the taping of the program. Uh, Bob Dylan was noticeably uncomfortable. But when it comes to charities, obviously, and helping out, that's one of the things that the NBA hopes to achieve with the All-Star Game. Trade deadline today till 3 o'clock. We will keep you abreast of what's happening. If you're just joining us, where have you been? Uh, Buddy Heald is on his way to Philadelphia, but joining us now on the program... He is the NBA Vice President of Social Responsibility. Eric DiMaselli joins us on the show coming here for the NBA All-Star Game, which, of course, will be the epicenter of the sports world next weekend in Indianapolis. Eric, to go with the obvious question first, explain to me what exactly, and I apologize for asking it this simplistically, what social responsibility in terms of the relationship to the NBA and that responsibility with the All-Star Game, what all that entails. First off, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's really an honor. Um, as we head into, um, the, like you said, the epicenter of basketball next week in Indianapolis and in Indiana, um, 
Social responsibility um, is something that the NBA stands for, from our players, our teams, and our league, uh, with the importance of giving back to communities and underserved communities where we live, work, and play. Um, and every year at All-Star, this is where we really um, take it to the next level and partner with dozens of organizations um, all throughout Indiana um, to identify uh, key societal issues where we can give back and, and, and leave a lasting impact for those families um, throughout Indiana. So, Eric, at the risk of, and I apologize for this, I do, because I know they're two totally different leagues and at times competing leagues, but to give precedent for people in Indianapolis to have understanding, when the Super Bowl was here 12 years ago, there are still little areas around town where you can see community centers or things that were built as part of the legacy of that with the NFL. What things will the NBA be doing that, say, a year or two or three from now, people will say, that's the footprint of the All-Star game? So t- together with the Indiana Pacers and the Indiana Fever, um, we're doing several things throughout the community, but two of the most pressing things to talk about, one about legacy, and that's what we stand for. Um, you know, to date, the NBA family has created more than 2,400 places for kids and families to live, learn, or play. Um, and that's that lasting impact. So we'll be visiting the Christamore House uh, right in downtown Indianapolis where we'll be doing a refurbishment um, of a new basketball gymnasium, a wellness room, a steam center, and providing um, technology and Wi-Fi to, to bridge the digital divide. So that's one. And the other piece, which is going to go a long way in the short term as well, um, to, together with Million Meal Movement, we're going to pack over one million meals um, for families to need. So those are just two quick ones that really um, will have a lasting impact on the communities and on some of the venues uh, in Indianapolis. Eric DiMaselli is our guest, NBA VP of Social Responsibility. Eric, you guys have outlined pretty clearly the ways in which the All-Star game and All-Star Saturday night itself will not just impact fans that are going, but impact those in need as well, especially for the three-point contest and Steph versus Sabrina. There's a little bit more reason to root for makes in both those, right? 100%. That's a, uh, a very exciting time, obviously, stemming back to, to Sabrina's amazing performance at WNBA All-Star and obviously Steph being what he's been. Um, and what's even better, they get to compete on our LED court at, uh, at Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, and not just to put up threes, but really raise money for charity. So the NBA and WNBA are making donations both to uh, Stephen Curry's uh, Eat, Learn, Play, as well as Sabrina's SI20 uh, Foundation. And then uh, together with our partner State Farm, we're making donations for every single basket made that will benefit the NBA Foundation, uh, which provides uh, economic empowerment for the black community uh, in all 30 NBA team markets, including Indiana. Eric DiMasella is our guest. He is the NBA Vice President of Social Responsibility, All-Star Game, coming up next weekend. Eric, in terms of kind of the everybody, you know, descending upon Indianapolis and some of these events taking place, I know we've talked about it earlier on this program last week, but give a reminder in terms of when you kind of are boots on the ground with this in terms of different events taking place and again, to recap, which one you would say is the kind of the, the signature event from a community give back standpoint? It's so hard to pinpoint one event, uh, but there'll be more than 50 events um, and activations in, in the community, uh, really tipping off on Wednesday all the way through uh, until the end of the All-Star game on Sunday night. Um, 
But two things, uh, actually three things to touch on that really uh, have a huge impact. One, I mentioned the day of service. More than 5,000 volunteers will be out there for 24 hours, Thursday into Friday, volunteering and packing those 1 million meals I mentioned before. So those are boots on the ground, packing meals all throughout the night with NBA players, with legends, WNBA players having impact. Our, our third annual HBCU Classic between Virginia Union University and Winston-Salem State University on Saturday at Gainbridge Fieldhouse, another competitive um, matchup that's going to be superb. And then the final, going back to raising funds for Indiana. We partnered with the Boys and Girls Club of Indianapolis and Special Olympics Indiana. The East and West All-Star, All-Star teams will be playing to raise more dollars for those two charities. And we'll have almost 300 kids from those organizations at the All-Star Game cheering on the teams that's playing for them. So those three are really the, the ones I'll put my finger on as some of the unique activations that will support the community. NBA Vice President of Social Responsibility, Eric DiMaselli, is our guest. Eric, where can folks that want to either experience this, see it happen, be involved with all the community outreach events, All-Star Weekend, where do they find more about that information? Yeah, uh, more information about NBAevents.com or all different activations and things taking place in and around the community. Um, there's more information on NBAcares.com about all the activations taking place uh, throughout the weekend. Eric DiMaselli, the pride of Sacred Heart. Am I correct in that, Eric? You are right. Sacred right, well Heart done. University uh, is Eric DiMaselli's alma mater, and the NBA showing a little heart by doing what they can for underprivileged, underserved communities in Indianapolis that will benefit from a weekend that everybody will civically celebrate with the All-Star Game coming to the Circle City. Eric, we appreciate it. Enjoy the time in our fair city, all right? Thanks for having us. Looking forward to next week. All right, Eric DiMaselli, again, the NBA Vice President of Social Responsibility. Um, All-Star Game is going to be a lot of fun, no doubt about it. I do think uh, next week we're going to try to load up on guests that are All-Star related. Um, The last time that the NBA All-Star Game was in Indianapolis, the only time that the All-Star Game was in Indianapolis, was the 84-85 season. I think most people know this by now. The dunk contest came down to two guys, Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins. The first of several battles that they would have in All-Star Game history. And you guys know which of the two of those won it? Dominique won it. Dominique did. 147 points for Dominique Wilkins. Um, again, outdueling Michael Jordan. Terrence Stansberry was the representative for the Pacers. He had the famous Statue of Liberty dunk. Dr. J was also in that one too, right? Uh, I'm trying to think. It was Orlando Woolridge. I don't know if Dr. J was. Look up uh, Eddie Garrison if you could. That's a good question, Jimmy. Look up for me, please, the 1985 NBA All-Star Game. I want you to tell me the franchise and see if my memory serves me correct on the participants. The game or the dunk contest? Dunk contest. Okay. I just dunk know it's contest. viewed by many NBA historians as one of the greatest dunk contests correct. of all time. I mean, between, in part because that first chapter, as you mentioned, of Wilkins and Jordan, Wilkins but the field Jordan itself is the big too. Thing. Um, okay, I've got the list. Okay, give me the franchise. I'll tell you the player. Uh, Show's over at three. I know. Philly. <laughs> See, I don't remember Julius Irving being in it, but I'll say it because you mentioned it. Correct. Okay, Julius Irving. Okay, next. Um, it's pretty go good with... when you knock out Julius Irving out of a dunk contest. <laughs> next, Portland. Uh, Clyde Drexler. Correct. Okay, next. What a loaded field. Cleveland. Larry Nance. Correct. Go nice. next. 
Utah Jazz. Um, that's a good one. Uh, I'll have to come back to the Utah. Give me the initials for the Utah Jazz player. D G. Uh, Daryl Griffith. Correct. Okay. Next. Nice. Uh, this guy went to Notre Dame. Played for many teams. Um, started his career with the Bulls, and he ended with the 76ers. Who did he represent at the game? In 1985, would have been with the Bulls. Orlando Woolridge? Correct. Okay, next. Uh, got to pull up the last one. You already got it, Terrence. Terrence Stansbury and then Dominic Wilkins and Michael Jordan, right? Correct. Quite a few. Um, now, the MVP of the All-Star Game in 1985. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Eddie Garrison can look this up and fact check me, but I believe in 29 minutes he had 24 points and 10 rebounds. As the most valuable player of the 1985 All-Star Game, he was arguably the most dominant player in college history up to that point. I mean, not named Al Cinder or Walton, I guess, yeah. but um, the first multiple winner of the National Player of the Year Award. And a lot of people forget that the Indiana Pacers, after the 83 season, had tied the Houston Rockets for the number one pick in the draft, and they did a coin flip. The coin flip was actually aired live on WIBC. If we can get Scotty Johnston, if he can get the audio of this, is going to be, it would be fabulous to have the audio of the coin flip that, that was aired on WIBC, where the Houston Rockets won the coin flip. The Pacers ended up with Steve Stepanovich. The Rockets ended up with a guy that took them to the NBA Finals as part of the Twin Towers when they got Akeem Olajuwon as well, and Ralph Sampson was suspended for a game in the 86 NBA Finals after he punched Jerry Seasting of Martinsville. But just for example, pretty sure that we're going to have at least two of those guys that I just mentioned on the program next week. Ralph Sampson, I think, is going to be joining us, and we'll talk about that and more. And then uh, hoping that one of the very deep participants within the dunk contest, one of the finalists in the dunk contest, will be joining us next week as well. So we're going to have a lot of fun leading up to the All-Star game and then all the festivities. And... Uh, Eddie Garrison has been running around. It's like when Girl Scout cookie time comes, and the Girl Scouts are constantly talking about all the different cookies and the different days and the different places they're going to be. Eddie's like that with the All-Star Game festivities. He's got a whole Rolodex. He, he walks around. He's got a little calendar. He flips out, and literally you say, uh, Thursday at 3, Eddie, what's going on? Boom, you got it, right? Eddie's all sure. up for this. Sure, yeah. He was wearing his All-Star Game ski vest yesterday. It was very comfortable. He was wearing a Terrence Stansberry jersey on Monday. Oh, yeah, sure. Just wait and see what I have planned for tomorrow. I would love to see somebody wear rock a Terrence Stansberry jersey to a Pacer game. That's when you know it's old school. He's another one that's being efforted uh, to be on this radio station within the next week or so. But I believe he lives overseas, does Terrence Stansberry. Eddie, do you have any peanut butter patties? No? Okay. All right. I just thought I'd ask. Oh, Samoas are the only way to go. I mean, who doesn't love a Samoa, but I'm also partial Samoas to peanut butter Samoas are the way to go, right? Chocolate Thin peanut butter. butter. Come on, They man. are the way to go. Uh, Buddy Heald on his way to Philly. Big topic of the day so far. NBA trade deadline coming at 3 o'clock. Tony East going to join us. Talk about that. That happens in 15. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I think because he has been 
a good player and a good guy. I really enjoyed watching Buddy Heal, to be honest with you. Oh, I thought you were about to say you enjoy working with me. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, I think we should do songs for the rest of the day until another trade may happen, which I don't I don't know that for certainty. I you know, I, I think it's possible that Obi Toppin still is moved. I think it's possible. Not probable, but possible. Or perhaps auxiliary pieces. But I think we should do songs and or bumpers, to use a radio term, from here on out that all relate to Buddy. Buddy Holly, songs that use the word Buddy, commercial from My Buddy. Do you guys remember My Buddy the Doll commercials? No. My Buddy, My Buddy, wherever I go, he goes, My Buddy, My Buddy and me. <laughs> Well done. <laughs> listen, listen, gold star for you. Let me tell you something. No. Now, which generation am I? Is it X or Z? What am I? Neither. You're your own generation, Jake. Let's be honest here. What? What's? You're neither. Am I be- generation X is below me or above me? Generation X is later than you. It is. Yes. You're not Are a you boomer, sure? huh? You're not a boomer. <laughs> I'm. I'm pretty close to a boomer, right? I never you know, know, you know who is a boomer. Boomer. Buddy healed. He's a boomer sooner. Right? Or in this case, Boomer later. Pacers mascot? I think I well, am I Generation X. I guess you are. Yep. My what, apologies. Generation X was born what years? Uh, it said, I thought it was later than this, but it's 65 to 80. Yeah. So I'm right, literally right smack dab in the middle of it. I, but yes, you know what's weird, to be honest with you, Jimmy, is that Generation X and people of my age might disagree with me here. But Generation X really was a term. If Generation X is kids that were born between 65 and 80, I don't remember hearing that term until I was in my early 20s. So it's almost like the generation of Generation X wasn't labeled until most of us were already out of like childhood and, and you know what I mean, into adulthood. Um, but most Generation X people, I am confident in telling you this, that 97%, give or take margin for error, 97% of people that are Generation X, that are driving in their car, that are sitting at their cubicle, that are on a treadmill, that are on an elliptical, that are sitting in the airport listening to us in any number of ways that you can listen to this program. Maybe they're in the break room, also known as our YouTube channel. Maybe they're listening over 93.5 and 107.5 FM. Maybe they're listening to WIBC FM HD2. But any of the ways in which you can digest this program, 97% of Generation X people, when I sang the theme song to the My Buddy commercial, don't want to admit it. But that right foot was tapping along. (laughs) My buddy. Did you have one? My buddy. Wherever I go, he goes. I did not have one. They were like a little... uh, Cabbage Patch Doll knockoff deal. And the commercial had the the kid that had it riding around on his big wheel with my buddy. And then my buddy later had like a uh, another companion that was like, you know, my sissy or something like that. I don't know. Then they used to run that commercial constantly during children's programming of the late 70s, early 80s. And then your buddy had a return option to Philadelphia? 
as well. That was featured <laughs> That's exactly there too. Right. When the my buddy expiration date was coming up, if you were if you were four months from the expiration date of my buddy, you went ahead and flipped it for other toys from Philadelphia. That is exactly yeah, correct. Got, got got two lesser toys yes. and a couple options to get some toys later. Future Christmas picks, yep. Yep. right? Yep. Future future stocking stuffers and a couple of other auxiliary toys that came back. Don't forget about the raise in your allowance as well. Little little twenty bucks covered your way. That's right. You, you got cash back. Yep. A cash back option. <laughs> for your my buddy trade, Caspa, what? Chris, what's up, Chris? What? What's up, Jake? You're looking at it or listening hey, to man. it. Not only was I tapping along, I was singing along, and I went right into the kid sister. You got to remember that one. It was the same same tune, but it was the kid sister. <laughs> and what great childhoods we had, Teddy Ruxpin. You can't get better toys. <laughs> I'm telling you, dear Chris, how old a guy are you? I'm 46, brother. Okay, so you're five years below me. So you must have been, you had to have been absolutely in peak, peak. Do you have Do you have siblings, Chris? I do, I do. I have an older sister that's five years older than I am, your age, and then uh, one that's one year younger than I am. Okay, the, your sister that is the year younger than you, I am going to guess without question and hesitation that like her third grade Christmas that she probably did everything she could to try to land a Cabbage Patch Kid. Oh, 100% she did. 100% she did. We didn't have, we didn't quite have the money for it. Um, so Nobody she did. Something or other. <laughs> she, she definitely got a knockoff of some kind, but that was my childhood, you know? Yeah, um, she, she, instead of a Cabbage Patch Kid, uh, she instead got like, what, like a, a lettuce roll child, right? Which was the, the, the knockoff, but still close, yeah. right? Listen. Yeah, I'll tell you what, as a uh, as a youngster in seventh grade, I, all I wanted was the new Jordans. Obviously, we couldn't afford those. Um, but uh, my mom I, my mom came through with a pair of Spalding SX500s from um, one of the, you know, the, the, the big shoe companies back there, the big shoe stores back then. You could go and they would have 18 different versions of knockoff shoes. And uh, I tried to play ball my first game, seventh grade, in a new school. And the tip-off happens. I run down the court. My guy has the – I'm defending, has the ball. And I go to stop, and I literally slide by him on the plastic bottom shoes that I'm wearing. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, mom went to Kenny's shoes, man. That's cool. At least they weren't stadiums, Chris. So you were still cool, right? Spalding was acceptable. Out, Spalding was acceptable, Chris, right? Um, Absolutely, brother. All right. I appreciate it. Tony East, by the way. is going to – since we were going south, we'll now go to Tony East. He's going to join us. We're going to talk trade deadline next life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy all hits no skips learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you so long live singing to the oldies jamming out to something new and everything in between my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, wherever I go, he goes. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, I'll teach him everything that I know. So you know what that means. That that kid, the kid singing that song, went to Philadelphia. <laughs> because everywhere he goes, Buddy goes, right? I hate to fully wreck the mood, but per Wikipedia and a couple other articles that came out in the 2010s, my buddy is one of several dolls said to be the inspiration for Chucky. Oh, the well, evil hell doll yes, from of Child's course. Place. So of that? course. There you go. 
you don't have a song like that without a little bit a little bit of homicidal homicidal maniacal spree. Come on. Right, one minute you're riding around on your big wheel. Next thing you know, you're breaking into somebody's house. Hell yeah, let's Has anybody go. Anybody seen the butcher knife? Where did it go? I, I thought it was right there. I don't understand. Where's my buddy? Anybody? You know, you know the scary thing about it when my buddy was Chucky is that kid says, I taught him everything he knows. <laughs> Who the hell were you giving the gift to, right? Good Lord. Uh, joining us now on the program, and I'm sure, I'm sure thrilled to be doing so, Tony East from SI Forbes, amongst many other places. Tony, trade deadline. we got two hours left. We have talked a lot about Buddy Heald, so we will table that and get to that. Do you believe in the next two hours that Kevin Pritchard is going to make another deal? Uh, I would say likely no, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they think of Marcus Morris and Furkan Korkmaz, which is why it's hard to truly say since they could, I guess, send them away. But, uh, you know, outside of maybe doing something in the front court, you know, they did the thing that was the most discussed at this point. That and so let's go to that, okay? And and I'll get to Obi Toppin in a second, but we'll go back to Buddy Heald then. Um, this move to me, Tony. Well, my my thoughts on it, I've shared, and we'll go back to that. You tell me right now your reaction, Buddy Heald on his way to Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all, right? Like I've talked about in the last couple of days, that I thought the most likely player to be moved would be Buddy this week just because of unrestricted free agency and what happened last summer, right? We This really came to be in September when, you know, all the reports came out and then confirmed by, you know, the team and Buddy Hill, they talked about an extension. And that means the Pacers at the time, you know, clearly wanted to have Buddy Hill on their team. But if Buddy Hill did not like the offer to the point that the Pacers said, we need to consider trading him, you know, that probably means they're pretty far apart in those talks and, I don't know if anything could have changed this season, but if the Pacers had a pretty good sense, they weren't going to be able to keep him, and he's an unrestricted free agent. Trading him does make sense. It made a little less sense after they acquired Pascal Siakam. You know, now they're going for it. They're trying to win this season. But if you can move a guy for value, you have to think about it. So I'm not, I wasn't surprised at all. I thought maybe they would try to get someone who could contribute a little bit more this season, but that best pick they got is pretty good. Maybe Korkmaz or Morris will play. I don't know. So – um, maybe there's more to this. We'll see. But as of now, it's not surprising to me. I think it makes a ton of sense given everything we've kind of heard the last six months. Pacers beat writer for Locked On Pacers, Tony East, is our guest. Tony, walk us through the cap situation for the Pacers this offseason. If there's no other moves and the roster plays out as it is, Pascal Siakam, let's play in this scenario, re-signs with the Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton's massive extension kicks in. In order to add a third piece, would they have to gut the roster? Or how creative would they have to be to add a third piece externally in the offseason? It has to be a trade still. I mean, Buddy, Buddy going away I mean, does change their cap hold situation. But if Siakam's re-signed with Halliburton on his money, they're going to be over the cap pretty much no matter what. So the next steps for them would be you know, either re-signing someone like Morris or Korkmaz or doing a sign-and-trade, or if they can't find that, it'd be using the mid-level exception. That's kind of why I thought, you know, trading Hill for someone else in his salary slot, which they did with Morris, is kind of important. We'll see if that turns into anything else. But, uh, you know, because they're over the cap, adding more talent requires a pretty significant trade. And so I think that 
you know, their, their cap situation is pretty similar to what it was before the trade, just because Korkmaz and Morris both expire after the season. And now they have this pick 36, which is a pretty good pick, and in theory will take up some money on their cap sheet as well next season. So in other words, for them to add, I don't know if they could add a third max, but for them to add a big money, high-level contributor next year, it would have to be done via trade, and salary salaries would have to match ergo you would have to not you have to gut the roster to some extent you have to give up pieces that you probably wouldn't want to give up because all the salaries would have to match to bring in a third star yeah for a star that's certainly the case right like they'll probably be far enough from the tax to use if yield is gone which he is now uh the non-tax pyramid level exception which can get you like a pretty good player you know like Grant Williams got a lot of that last summer. Dante DiVincenzo, you know, that level of player, a, a solid bench guy, maybe your worst starter to be available for that mid-level exception. But if they're getting a third star in July, yeah, oh yeah, it's going to be a trade. There's no way they're going to have actual cap room or flexibility to do that with a signing. No, no. Tony, every once in a while, a player comes over in a trade and you say, hey, you know what? Like, I think this is a guy that they might have unearthed a little bit and he can give them some stuff and they'll assess it. And then that guy never sees the floor. Daniel Tice comes to mind. Like, I really did think that Daniel Tice was a throw-in guy that they were going to be able to kind of get some stuff out of. Never, you know, never happened. Injuries were a part of it. I get it. Then you have guys that come in and you're like, oh, wow. I don't even know that they thought that that this guy had this in him and they get rejuvenated a little bit. Any chance that we see that in that either of those these two guys fits either of those two roles? Uh, you know, interestingly... I don't. I have never really thought Marcus Morris was particularly good. Like I'm surprised he plays as much as he does this year. Korkmaz at his best is you know, he's tough. Like he's got a lot of the Euro toughness from overseas, and he can. He at his best, he's been a good shooter. He's been over forty percent before. He was at thirty nine percent last year, uh, and a couple years ago at least before. Um, you know the Sixers kind of retooled their team and traded Ben Simmons. He played a lot. Like he played uh, twenty plus minutes a game and was taking five threes a night and hitting you know, above league average of them. His career percentage isn't particularly flashy. He doesn't play that much this season. He's only averaging like nine minutes a game. But I wonder on a Pacers team that is going to allow him to shoot every time he's open, if he can at least be like an interesting 10th guy some nights, you know, in the regular season, just a guy that can come in, take three threes, make one or two of them, give you some toughness on the wing. I don't think he's a good defender, but he definitely tries. So, I think he's the more interesting one of the two to me at six foot seven. Marcus Morris obviously gives a ton of toughness if he plays. I mean, I think this season people remember he had that nasty elbow onto Jalen Smith. Uh, I think it was the in-season tournament game in Philadelphia. It might have been the game right before it, but he, you know, he's been pretty slow the last couple of years of his career. His field goal percentage now the last three seasons has been like forty three, forty two ish. So his contributions are, are certainly lower. Uh, he's playing a lot less this year than he did last year with the Clippers. So. Uh, I, I think if the of those two categories, I would say Korkmaz, I would think would be more likely to be the surprising good, and Morris on the the other end of that. But honestly, there's a chance neither of them play at all, given kind of what the Pacers roster looks like right now. Do you believe Tony East that this move of sending Buddy Heald to Philadelphia was done? Obviously, we know the financials of it. Okay, but did this is this the Pacers saying? We need and want to see more of Benedict Matherin before we know exactly and are able to exactly assess what he is moving forward. Or is it more them saying, 
we've seen enough from Benedict Matherin, and we're ready to hand him the keys to, at the very least, that number three role. I don't think Matherin is a non-factor in this, but like you know, they could have just played him more anyway, even if Field was on the team. Like in their game on Sunday in Charlotte, when they were fully healthy before Matherin got this stomach bug. You know, what did Buddy Hill play, 11 minutes or something like that? Like, clearly they were already kind of shifting towards a smaller role for Buddy Hill, and Matherin played a decent amount of that game. was decent off the bench, right? So I think they could have just done that anyway. But that second part where they feel pretty good about it, you know, he's he's been up and down this season certainly, but I think he's made strides they're comfortable with, and he can defend better than he did last year. He's a better shooter than he was last year. Like, I think they feel good about that, and that is certainly part of it. But I kind of think this trade is just – as kind of boring as the, this thesis can be, really financially motivated, right? When you have a guy on an expiring contract, you have to think about their future. And I'll never forget Rick Carlisle saying last year, you know, they did the extension with Miles Turner in late January. And then before the deadline, he said something to the effect of, you know, the deadline could be quiet for us. It would have been different if we weren't able to work something out with Miles, right? And so clearly, like, that's a factor in their thinking. It has to be for basically any non-title contending team. And, you know, if you can get three picks even if one of them's great and two are mediocre uh and maybe a contributor for the rest of the season you think about that uh Matherin again a fact because I think he can fill all of Buddy's role but uh, I think they could have just filled that role with him anyway without a trade so I think most of it is based on what they were actually able to get in return Tony East is our guest covers the Pacers for Locked on Pacers you can subscribe to his content all season long wherever you get your podcasts and of course get it a number of different outlets as well Tony you and I talked about this off air earlier in the week, but it looked like that where their roster was, they might not want to shake the boat and make a trade just for the sake of making a trade. There's clearly good chemistry within this team, but he healed somebody that everybody likes in that locker room. You just acquired Siaka. Maybe you want to see what this thing is from a Pacers standpoint. How difficult or how will things change from a depth standpoint from a goals this season standpoint changed by shipping off Buddy Heald and, and adding a guy like Marcus Morris. Yeah, that's one of the more interesting parts of this is what what are the, you know, how does this change the expectations in goals to the Pacers, at least to me, because, you know, clearly if you trade for Pascal Siakam on January, whatever, 18th, you're trying to win right now, right this second. When you trade three first-round picks, your goals change. You're not maybe trying to win the title, but you're trying to win a lot and make the playoffs and maybe win a series. And even if you view Buddy Hield as a negative because he's shooting worse this year and his defense isn't, you know, the best thing ever, the fact that they got assets for him suggests that he has value and can contribute to winning, right? So, in theory, this makes them a little bit worse. But maybe they don't feel that way because of how they can reshuffle their rotation or how some new players can help them. I don't know exactly how that thinking is. But in general, it kind of feels like, you know, a team going for it sent away somebody, right? And so what happens now if you're the Pacers? Do you have to tell your locker room why you did this? Do you just are, – are you, are you already very comfortable with playing Ben Shepard a little bit? Or, you know, do you have enough depth that, that you don't even need to do that? Is Ben Matherin just going to play more and you're doing a nine-man rotation? I think this actually creates some questions that are really interesting in the context of what the Pacers are and what they're trying to do now. And maybe they really value Morris or Korkmaz as that backup three that they could have and – that answers all my questions, but, you know, it's really interesting that a team kind of going for it and wanting to be good, but you know what? We'd rather have the value than Buddy Heald, and I think that's going to be one of the bigger things that I'm curious to, uh, to hear from going forward because he'll put, like, in their very last game, 
healed played pretty well. And after the game, Tyrese Halliburton said he was very excited to talk about Buddy Heald and the contributions he has to the Pacers. Yesterday at practice, T.J. McConnell was very happy to talk about Buddy Heald and his contributions in gravity for the Pacers. Like His teammates do value the things he provides to the team, and now they don't have those things. So how they plug that hole or how they make little tweaks I think will be fascinating and, and definitely the most interesting immediate ripple of this trade to me. Pacers beat writer Tony East joins us. Tony, this could very well change in the next 90 minutes plus trade deadline coming up at 3 p.m. Eastern time. But is this now, if they stay in pat and don't make any other moves, is this now an audition period for both Obi Toppin and Jalen Smith in terms of deciding which one of them they would like to retain in the offseason? Yeah, they can keep both now. If they you know if they don't plan on re-signing Morris and Corkmaz, they can afford to keep both and, and stay under the tax. But you know, so perhaps it's not an audition in that way, but perhaps it's an audition for playing time, right? Because at some point the Pacers are presumably going to want to play Jarris Walker, who they picked very high in last year's draft. And so he's coming for one of those front court spots at some point. I just watched him play for the Mad Ends last night. His handle looks better than it did before he was drafted. He had some beautiful passes, right? He, he might, I don't know if he's ready defensively yet, but and he's certainly trending towards a player that they'll have to decide on. So, yeah, I think the rest of the season will be about a lot of evaluation in the front court for the Pacers if they're done because, you know, Siakam's going to play a lot. Neesmith's been wonderful. Turner's a great player. They, they have a lot of guys who are going to soak up minutes in that front court. And now Marcus Morris and Korkmaz, who are both 6'7 plus, are on the team. You know, the, suddenly there's a lot going on kind of in the front court. If you're Toppin, if you're Jalen Smith, if you're Isaiah Jackson, any minute you're playing, you're hoping to prove that you belong with this team long term because there may not be minutes to gain, but there could be, depending on what Smith does with his player option, depending on what Toppin does in free agency. So there's a lot to kind of gain there, and those are the, the interesting players to watch, I think, immediately after the deadline, especially with the buyout market uh, as a thing coming up at the end of this month. Tony, what do you think? Tony East, our guest, you had to guess. I know you're not an agent, not, nor am I. <laughs> but if you had to guess, what would you say Jalen Smith's annual salary range is going to be requested and that he could actually get on the market, yeah. assuming that he opts out. Yeah, my prediction was just look like looking at last year's market. Like he's not as good as Nas Reed, and Nas Reed got his extension at starting at like thirteen million per year. I think it's about fifteen million per year. That's too high. You know, he's not as good as him. Certainly, some other centers who agreed to deal last summer. Jock Landale got four years, thirty-two million, but that's like a giant trade exception contract, which is really gimmicky. There's a lot of non-guaranteed stuff in there. Mo Wagner, who actually is pretty good, playing for the Magic, got two years, $16 million. That's $8 million per year. Paul Reed got just under $8 million per year. And those are like good backup centers, right? Paul Reed had an awesome game against the Jazz starting for the Sixers with Joel Embiid out. Like, he's a good player. So I think – I don't know if he can get to like $12 million, Jalen Smith, but I think he could get to somewhere between 8 and 10. His option's only 5.4. So just looking at the market dynamic, especially if the cap goes up a little bit, my prediction would be somewhere in that 8 to $10 million per year range. I was going to say 8 to 12 right in there, right? I, the thing yeah. is, okay, so that leads to a second question for you, Tony, in your opinion. Let's say that that's the number it creeps into. Let's say he wants a three-year, $30 million deal. Does Indiana jump on that, or does Indiana say, enjoy Phoenix? <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's – uh... I think they'd have to be careful because they have Isaiah Jackson, who can is on their team next year. They picked up his option before this season even started, and Isaiah Jackson's restricted after next season. And Isaiah Jackson's played pretty well, so you know if Jalen Smith wants to be back, there. I mean, he could just opt in, obviously, but if he really wants to be with the Pacers, 
you know, there might be some haggling and negotiating there because Pacers have another big man already on their team who can play that spot. And Obi Toppin has played some capable backup emergency five this season as well. So it's not like they wouldn't have a third center if they need to go that route. So, you know, if, if Jalen Smith wants to be with the Pacers specifically, I'm not sure he could get the high end of his market value. If he wants to, you know, get the most money, maybe if he wants to go somewhere where he could start, like the Wizards just traded Daniel Gafford. I thought, you know, he could start, like he's from Maryland. He could probably start for the Wizards next season, right? So there's just it, his goals would be the most fascinating part of that to me. But I think if you're the Pacers, because you have Isaiah Jackson already on your team, you're at least trying to negotiate to get something that makes the most sense for you. Tony, for the Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton has made it clear in the past in media availabilities his affinity for Buddy Heald, them being kind of tied at the hip together since they knew each other in Sacramento when Tyrese comes into the league, and then they're obviously a part of the trade that brings them both to Indiana. Maybe I'm being hypersensitive to this, but people look at star players and happiness matters and relationships matter, and yes, it's I don't think this is going to like He's going to demand a trade or anything like that by any means because of this. I want to stress that on the front end, but most people will say more often than not, you want to try to keep the superstar happy. Are you at all worried about potential ramifications or this being something that needs to be smoothed over on the Pacers end with one of his favorite players being dealt? Or is this just a, eh, he might be upset about it for a minute, but he'll realize in the long run it's part of the business. Yeah, Halliburton just went to bat for him, right? On, on Tuesday night, talking about how valuable Buddy Hield screening and gravity and all, you know, all the threats he puts on defense every possession is to the Pacers, right? And you know that they've been together their entire careers. Tyrese has said on multiple occasions that he knows Buddy Hield better than anyone on the planet, right? And the the thing, the part of this that's interesting to me is yes, I think that obviously they're they're really good friends, but the Pacers have said before like they value Tyrese Halberton's input quite a bit when it comes to the team and what, you know, what, what it's going to look like. And Kevin Pritchard has said, like, I can't put the final decision on the player, but he's going to have info, right? He's the, he's the face of the franchise and that really matters. And so on one hand, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I mean, no one's getting thrilled that someone they like gets traded away. On the other hand, I can't imagine they didn't communicate with Tyrus Halbert that, that this was an option and could be something that happened. And, you know, maybe I don't, I don't. Again, I don't know this. This is just me thinking out loud because of the question asked. Like, maybe this is something Buddy Hield could have wanted, and then Tyrese was would be happier to have his friend go somewhere he likes. You know, you just never know with all these dynamics. I think these are questions that need to be asked to figure out everything at play. But I think as you kind of look at it, I don't think they would have done it if Tyrese Halbert said, "No, I want Buddy Hield here." So. Uh, certainly I think a factor and maybe not something exciting for Tyrese Halbert to not be with his, his friend anymore, but uh, I don't think they, w- they would do it without considering that and consulting with him first. Tony East is our guest. Tony, before we let you go, any trades elsewhere that jumped out at you? I guess the one, really the only one of local interest, and I don't know how much you've been able to keep track of the rest of the league in terms of trades here as we are almost halfway through between the beginning of our show and the trade deadline coming at three o'clock, but Gordon Hayward on his way from yeah. Charlotte now to Oak city. That probably is the one that jumps out from a local interest standpoint. That's an awesome spot for Gordon Hayward too. He's going to be a really good fit for that team in that rotation. Assuming he can stay healthy. Royce O'Neal was connected to, to the Pacers with some reports. He just got traded like a couple minutes ago. Uh, it sounds like he's going to Phoenix. Uh, but in terms of locally, I think that was, I think the Gordon Hayward runs the only, Really significant one. I mean, no one else that the Pacers have even really been linked to has been on the move. I think also Bruce Brown. 
uh, is a guy to keep an eye on. Of course, he was with the Pacers earlier this season. He's been in a lot of trade buzz and, and seems like he could be a guy that gets moved today from the Raptors. Well, the Raptors have done a ton of other stuff today that uh, does not involve a Bruce Brown trade. So uh, I think of Pacers' interest, Royce O'Neal recently was the, the most obvious one, and Hayward, of course, locally is one. But uh, Oladipo got traded last week. Does that count, Jake? Um, Oladipo <laughs> being traded at this point is like <laughs> halfback chips, right? I hate to say that. That's I'm picking on the guy, right? It is weird, isn't it, to think that he's just kind of like a, a not even a trade deadline trade throw-in guy? Yeah, just just salary, right? Like, that's all he was. Pretty much, trade. yeah. Makes $9 million. Now, what about Andrew Wiggins? Andrew Wiggins is a guy that I think does kind of fit what Indiana could use. And for whatever reason, his minutes and his production have just completely plummeted. And I've heard his name mentioned out there. Do you think Indiana has any interest in Andrew Wiggins? A buy-low candidate like that on the wing is very similar to kind of what they did with T.J. Warren when they got yeah. free from the Suns, right? So, on one hand, may, maybe. I mean, at his best, he's awesome. He's an all-star wing. Like, that that doesn't become available that often. On the other hand, I mean, he's, he's been bad. Like, like, he's been bad at basketball this season, you know, especially compared to what you expect from him. His efficiency is not there. His effort on the glass isn't there. His defense is a little worse. And his extension just started, right? So, his contract is pretty big. It's not huge, but it's big. So, if you can get him with something else or basically for free, like you have to consider it just because his peak is so high and, you know, rehabbing his value would be a slam dunk if you could pull it off, but it's super risky, right? So uh, I would, they're in town tonight. I mean, I'll be curious what the Warriors are going to do, if anything, today, but uh, that is a fascinating uh, player to watch, I guess. I, it, it's weird for the Pacers now with Buddy Heald traded the, to think of what the salaries could be. So we'll, we'll see on that one. We'll see. How much does Ben Shepard get impacted by all this this season? Big winner today, uh, certainly. Unless unless Corkmaz is the backup three and Mather is the backup two, I mean Ben Shepard could be playing. Uh, and there, I mean, probably tonight with Buddy Hillman on the team, Ben Shepard's playing for sure, right? So, uh, yeah, maybe a big winner. He's been defending well, and you, you know, I've said it to you guys on this show. Like, there's a chance their best defensive five this season has Ben Shepard in it, and so. Uh, if they value that and value playing him a little bit down the stretch of this year, he could be a big winner today. Friendly reminder, if there's any and all mocks that you have out there, you can send them to at Tony R. East. Those trade machines are very valuable. And don't forget about the pencils down, GIF, at 3 o'clock. Tony loves those. Be sure to tag him as well. Oh, lordy. (laughs) Tony, uh, I'm sure we'll have all that content on Locked On Pacers. Looking forward to seeing all of it post-trade deadline, and we'll talk at you next week. Yeah, you got it. Thanks, guys. Tony East joining us on the show. There's a whole rundown we could do of, of trades, but I so far of the ones of note, <clears throat> by the way, Matt Verderam going to join us just a couple minutes, but uh, trades of note, here we go. I don't know how many of these would be of interest to people, but... You're talking league-wide that have happened. League-wide. Okay. P.J. Washington is a decent player for the Hornets on his way to Dallas for Grant Williams, Seth Curry, and future picks. Toronto. Trading Dennis Schroeder, who's actually not a bad player, for Thad Young, former Pacer, to the Nets. They'll get back Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, Charlotte. I can never say this guy's name. Eddie, you want to help me? Michic? No idea. Never heard of him. He's a guard. Vasily Michic? Yes, they are getting him from Oklahoma City along with, uh, in exchange for Gordon Hayward, there were other players involved and that trade as well. This Trey next Mann. one you're going to read is... Trey is, Mann and Dave Bertrands, by the way, were involved Bertons. in that trade for... Gert, Davis Gert Bertans. What's that? Davis Bertans. Yeah, he was at Washington, right? Uh, Originally. 
Yeah, sounds about right, yeah. I think he was originally the shooting uh, 6'8 European shooting guy, right? Correct. The next one on this list, Jake, is the one that probably has the most ramifications for not just the Eastern Conference, but the Pacers, because you can make an argument the Knicks got a lot better. And I don't know what Detroit is doing. The New York Knicks completing a deal with Detroit to get Boyan Bogdanovich. That's the, and there are two of those. That's the one that was with the Pacers, of course. Alec Burks, Quentin Grimes, man, they got Malachi Flynn. Fournier, they got a whole ton of picks. Uh, who are they? After after Burks, that's what uh, New York said. That's what Detroit got, yeah. Detroit yeah, so got Grimes, Flynn, Fournier, Archie Diacono, and two future seconds, and Bogdanovich and Burks are now in New York. Bogdanovich, as a shooter, I mean, that's, a, yeah. that's good for them, right? Yeah. That'll help them a lot of ways offensively. Uh, Matt Verderam, NFL writer, Super Bowl upcoming. Conversation next. Super Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Super Bowl upon us. Jimmy has been wearing, and I can't wait for the Super Bowl to end just so Jimmy can change shirts. <laughs> He's been wearing the same chief shirt for three and a half weeks. Matt Verderam of SI is one who will be covering the Super Bowl, joins us on the program. Matt, first off, thanks for joining us. And um, I'll get right to the question that I have, which is this. I keep going back and forth with this game. Schematic advantage, to use the old Charlie Weiss phrase, which of the two teams do you feel like has more versatility in what they can do to create problems for the other? It's a great question. I think if you're talking about versatility and just different packages, different formations, stuff like that, I think the 49ers probably have more of that just because, you know, like they play with check and check is a versatile piece. He's not really a big yardage eater. I mean, if you look at his yardage polls this year, it's not, nothing special, but he's a really good player. And you can you can use him out wide. You can use him inside. It's almost like a tight end. You can use him, obviously, as a regular position of fullback. And then with Kittle, you know, Kittle very much the same way. Of course, Kittle much more of the yardage eater, where you can you can line him up outside. You can line him up in the slot. You can line him up tight. You can, you can even put him in the backfield. So I think... The Niners have more ways to line up and to move you around. I would contend that the Chiefs, though, have the scariest thing that they can do, which is just give the ball to Patrick Mahomes and give him three seconds. Um, And so that's kind of the story of this game. Yeah, the Niners have more weapons. The Chiefs have God. And so how do you contend with that? (laughs) Matt Verderam is our guest. Matt, you know this, our... Indie listeners know this, but I'm a big Chiefs fan, so there's some bias in this question. But this team, just a couple months ago, loses at Lambeau, then a couple weeks later gets throttled by the Raiders at home. They're dropping passes. They're committing false starts. They look discombobulated completely on offense. And the postseason's arrived. Rasheed Rice has come on for certain for them. Pacheco has been a beast like he was a year ago, and Kelsey's Kelsey, Mahomes is Mahomes. But it looks like they've fixed things offensively. And I know they didn't play up until the Ravens 
the 85 Bears from a defensive standpoint with Miami and Buffalo, but when you look at them on tape, what have they fixed offensively, and why, if you're looking at this game, should you not say, well, those drops, those penalties, those shooting yourselves in the foot could reappear in the Super Bowl? Has that been fully put to bed, or could those reappear? I think the most incredible stat of the Chiefs' playoff run to this point if you follow them all year long, as you have, as I have, they have not taken a pre-snap penalty in the playoffs. That is staggering, considering what that team looked like for four months during the regular season, where they couldn't get lined up. I mean, I didn't even know you could line up in the neutral zone on offense until Kadarius Tony showed up and did it. Like, it that is that's impossible. The Chiefs lost a game like that. They had so many games this year. I mean, you're not talking a few drops. You're talking about six drops, seven drops. They just could not catch anything. Leading the league. Yes, all by a mile. Like, not even close. In fact, at least up until the last week, I don't know if it changed with all the starters being out, but they had the worst drop percentage since the Browns team went winless. I mean, it was was insane (laughs) watching that team play offense this year. But I think a few things happened. Look, I don't think this to sound the way it's probably going to, but they sat down Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore. You know, Moore went on IR. Tony essentially got benched after that New England game where he dropped another ball that turned into a pick. I think that was part of it. Those two guys were net negatives for them. And they sat they, they sat down, either be injury or just being benched. They, the Chiefs basically said the offense is going to be Pacheco, Kelsey, and Rice. And that's it. And every once in a while, it's going to be Justin Watson. And, and lately, MVS has turned into the guy everybody thought he was going to be all year long, which is who he was last year, that deep ball threat. But I think that's been a lot of it. They've cleaned up the pre-snap penalties. Um, they've just kind of streamlined the offense. And Kelsey's gotten a second win. It's been a lot of things that you felt like all year long, like, yeah, it'll happen. And then it never happened. And now, all of a sudden, it's happening simultaneously. Matt Verderam is our guest, covers the NFL for SI. Matt, the 49ers have a collection of playmakers, the likes of which rarely come along within a single season, let alone on the same roster. And Kyle Shanahan, in his own right, is a mastermind in offensive schematics, just like Andy Reid is. Defensively, though, Steve Spagnolo, I would argue, is an equal in that same air with his defensive concepts and his ability to disguise blitzes and, and have different motion at the top with safeties. Two-part question. On Kansas City's side of the ledger, is this the best collection of offensive weapons they've faced all year? And for San Francisco, is this the best secondary and best collection of defensive weapons their offensive faced all year? And ultimately, what wins out? So I, I think as far as the Chiefs are concerned and the best teams they faced, I would say that weapons-wise, it probably is. I mean, they played Minnesota when Minnesota was healthy earlier in the year. You had Jefferson and Addison and Hawkinson and, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, obviously they played Buffalo a couple times, played Baltimore, uh, Jacksonville, who's, who's got a lot of weapons. But I think the Niners, in terms of the weaponry, just the skill position players, yeah, I think, I think you'd say yes. This is the most talented team that they've played in that regard. Now, it kind of becomes an interesting question if you factor in the quarterback. Like, I would argue that the Bills are almost a division rival to the Chiefs at this point. They see each other so much. I think the Bills are a tougher team for Kansas City to defend because of the dual threat that Josh Allen is. The Ravens don't have the skill position players that the Niners have, 
but Jackson is so unique that it's it's a tough game to deal with defensively because you're taking so many guys out of their normal roles just to deal with Lamar Jackson. On the flip side, for the Niners, I think the only team they've faced that posed some kind of a threat in the way the Chiefs do is Baltimore. And Baltimore destroyed San Francisco. Absolutely destroyed them. I mean, five interceptions, Purdy had four of them. Um, now, they play differently. The Ravens don't blitz to the extent that the Chiefs do. My feeling on this game is, look, I think the Chiefs are used to playing in these types of games. They played the Eagles last year in the Super Bowl, where the Eagles were every bit as loaded right now as the Niners mm-hmm. when you factor in the receivers and tight ends and backs. And they gave up a lot of points in that game. But they found a way to beat them, and they found a way to stop them when they needed to. My concern with the Niners, they faced two top five defenses this year, Cleveland and Baltimore, and their offense has gotten completely shut down in both games. That's the problem. If Spags can get Purdy to where he doesn't know what he's looking at, those weapons become irrelevant because they've got to get the ball from Brock Purdy. That is my concern for San Francisco in this game. Matt Verderam of SI is our guest. Matt, you had a piece in SI, and you've had a couple. If you're not going there, you should follow Matt on Twitter, but on SI with plenty of pieces to get you ready for Super Bowl 58. But you had a piece that I've thought about internally watching Mahomes and viewing him as one of the greats that I don't think people are looking at now because they're so focused on the game. But if this goes Kansas City's way, the conversation changes to what your piece was about, which is he's playing for legacy in the same way LeBron James was with Jordan is with Jordan, right? I I assume at some point there's going to be a press clipping from Mahomes saying he's chasing the ghost of 12, just like James has said the same thing about Jordan a couple of times in his championship runs. What is at stake from a legacy standpoint for Patrick Mahomes if if he's able to get a third Super Bowl before he turns 29, let alone 30? Like I wrote in my story, uh, my, my column, I really just think, look, let's be real. Mahomes is the best player in the world right now, period. End of discussion. Like, there's, I know we do this every year in our profession where we sit here and like, well, if Josh Allen beats him in the playoffs this year, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It just doesn't. Josh Allen's not Patrick Mahomes. Joe Burrow, who has been the one guy who's had his number to some extent, is not Mahomes. Like, none of these guys are Mahomes. Mahomes is clear in a way the greatest player of his generation. I mean, you want to sit there and talk about, well, you know, him compared to Aaron Donald. I mean, that's fine. But in terms of just the totality of the sport, he is the best player in this era. And so now it becomes, even already, like if he loses on Sunday, no reasonable person is going to say, well, that's it then. You know, he's not who we thought he was. Like, it's, just, it's a missed opportunity for a legacy that he could retire tomorrow. And he is a first ballot hall favor. But... If he wins this game Sunday, then I think the conversation starts to get very real about, okay, he is 28. If he wins, he's a three-time Super Bowl champion. He's a two-time MVP. He's at least a two-time Super Bowl MVP. He's thrown for 5,000 yards twice. He's thrown for 50 touchdowns once. Like, I think you start to get into this, this conversation of, okay, look, does he have to get to seven for people to say he's better or equal to Brady? Does he have to get to five? And whatever that number is, it's reasonable. Like, even if it's seven for people, I think it's reasonable. So, for me, yes, obviously they're playing the San Francisco 49ers this weekend, but for Patrick Mahomes specifically, he is playing 
for his spot in history. He is trying to rack up as many as he can. And look, I think we all feel like Mahomes is going to have a whole bunch more Super Bowls ahead of him. You don't know that. He might not. Brady went 10 years without winning the Super Bowl. Went to a few of them, but didn't win for a decade. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. This is his opportunity right now to get number three. Matt Verderam, our guest. Matt, on the other side of things at the quarterback position, do we have, I mean, obviously this is a first Super Bowl for Brock Purdy, but do we have any sort of a baseline to know whether or not the potential is there that the moment is going to be too big for him? No, it's hard. It's hard to say. I mean, the Super Bowl is something that's so different. And, of course, playing at Iowa State, it wasn't like he played a bunch of you know massive games there. It wasn't in national title games. Uh, you know, like a Tua was, you know, for an example, or Deshaun Watson, you know, people like that. Wasn't in those games in college. In the playoffs, to this point, including last season, he's been shaky. I mean, he has not been great in the playoffs. Now, the Eagles game, I don't even count because he barely played. But, like, during these last two weeks, let's be real, not played well. I mean, yes, give him credit at the end of the game, and that's fine. Although I would contend the Detroit game was more about Detroit than it was Purdy. I mean, the biggest play that Purdy made all game was to throw the hit of the guy in the face mask on the lines. Like, it, it was not because Purdy played I thought the best plays he made in that game were with his legs. Um, he is going to have to play a really, really good game. Like, this idea, that this narrative that's kind of taken hold about, well, the Niners can just win if McCaffrey is a big day, is, is nonsense. The Bills ran for almost 200 yards. And they didn't win because they couldn't get one explosive play. They didn't have one. Allen threw for 4.8 yards per attempt. It didn't matter. The Niners are not going to shut the Chiefs down in this game. They don't have the secondary to do it. I don't think they've got the pass rush outside of Bosa to do it. Like they're gonna, The Niners are going to need Purdy to play in a way that he has not played over the last you know month or so. And if he can step up, they have a real shot to win the game. If he can't, and it's McCaffrey and everybody else, that's a really, really big ask of your defense in this game against this quarterback. Matt, when you look at Indianapolis and what we assume is going to be their roster next year and you you kind of compare it through the lens of the offenses that we see at the ultimate level here, Anthony Richardson, I think we know, is a big arm guy and he does have some escapability and leg possibility of extending plays about him can you get away with or be an elite offense when your top playmaker is your quarterback and he is surrounded by receivers that are not necessarily yard after catch guys i don't think you're going to super bowl like that unless you have an absolutely lockdown defense and a a ridiculous ground attack which of course the colts do have the ground game um I think when I look at the Colts, obviously the big question is, what is Anthony Richardson? Unfortunately, we didn't really get to find out this year. But I think there's clear potential. And so let's assume that he's a really good quarterback. Um, it, it, to me, then it all becomes about, okay, look, you got the running back. As long as they bring back Pittman, which you would think at minimum they tag him, but they've got to bring him back. They've got to go out and get other guys. Like I'd like to see the Colts. I'll give you an example. Go out and sign Dalton Schultz this year, the tight end. Like go, go get a tight end who can give you 800 yards. Go get, you know, I like Downs a lot. I, I, I think he's going to be a real player in the league. I like him coming out. So I'm at the Senior Bowl. Go get one more receiver. It doesn't have to be Mike Evans. Go get another good receiver. Go get another guy who can hover around the 1,000 yards, 
who can complement Pittman. And now Downs, all of a sudden, is your third receiver. Now you're really giving some teams some problems. And there's a ton of receivers out there this offseason that you could target, depending on which way you want to go. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm Chris Bauer, if I'm the Colts, my whole thought process is, look, make this kid's life easier. Make his life easier. Go out, whether it's through the draft, through the free, you know, free agency, there's going to be a million quality receivers out there. Go find one. Go pay for one. That's been my biggest problem with Ballard over the years is it feels like they're hesitant sometimes to spend money at these skill positions. Go spend the money. You have the cap space, go use it. Um, I think the Colts are a really interesting team for next year because I, I, I think Steichen's going to be fantastic for them. Um, but they need to build up around that all. They can't just be Pittman and Taylor. It's not enough. Lastly, odds that a player in the NFL, whether it's one participating in the Super Bowl or one that is enjoying the Super Bowl in Las Vegas, gets involved in some total dumbassery over the weekend? Hi. Unfortunately, hi. <laughs> My guess is it would not be somebody who plays in the game. Right, like, right. It'll probably be somebody who's there for like Radio Row and like a bunch of appearances. And just decides to, like, hit on 15 at the Bellagio and doesn't win, and then things go south. Like that's, that's We've all been there, right? We have all been there, right? The difference is, like, most of us lost, like, 20 bucks, right? And so that's, like, that's the concern. It's a, hey, Vegas is a fun town. It's a great place to be. At the same point, one of those places you need to have self-restraint in, in big supply, and so you just hope you don't have the guy who like doesn't have a lot of restraint. All of a sudden, you end up you know getting getting that breaking news that somebody got themselves into trouble. Love it, absolutely love it. I'm, pre- I'm that's what I'm I'm putting fifteen on that. I'm not putting fifteen on on the table. I'm putting fifteen on somebody gets arrested. It's a TMZ Super Bowl. You could probably find a prop for that. Honestly, you're Jake. probably right. Yeah, Matt, we appreciate it, man. Ain't no problem anytime, guys. All right, always fun. Matt Verderam of SI. And uh, Jimmy, you got your Chiefs fill, right? Always. Always get my Chiefs fill. Are you getting nervous yet? Getting there. Getting getting antsy. It's no longer the week before the Super Bowl. It's counting down three days left to go. All right, well, we'll see what happens for you, right? I'm just glad that you're finally going to be able to wear a different T-shirt. All... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Songs relating to Buddy or Buddies. For the rest of the program, Buddy Healed, traded by the Indiana Pacers to the Philadelphia 76ers. In exchange, the Pacers will get Marcus Morris and his expiring $17 million tag. Uh, Forkan Korkmaz and his expiring $5.7 million price tag and a million and a half in cash. And Buddy Heald and his expiring contract on his way to Philadelphia. Marcus Morris is a guy that shoots 40% from three-point range over the course of his career. He is a wider-bodied wing, I guess you'd say, kind of more power. I, a poor man's Al Horford, maybe, you'd say. But do either of these two really fit into the plans for Indiana this year? That re- remains to be seen. This could be uh, even, you know, there are guys that if you look at historically for the Pacers over the years, 
that were traded in deals and then you know get they get the Ricky Rubio treatment. Remember Ricky Rubio Ricky Rubio was traded here, never played. Danny Ferry. Danny Ferry was a part of a trade that that brought him here and never played for the Pacers. And I believe Danny Ferry may have been part of uh the trade that brought Scott Pollard here, which leads us to the other point for Scott Pollard. Uh, the University of Kansas star, the California native, I think most people now are aware that Scott Pollard, who is one of the more colorful personalities in Pacers and NBA history, awaiting a transplant for a heart transplant to be a heart transplant recipient. Um, That is, pardon the pun, because I don't, obviously you would never mean it in, in this form. Uh, in this conversation. That is close to my heart. My uncle Dwayne was a heart transplant recipient in 1985. Um, Obviously, my family heart history is not great. But my uncle Dwayne, I remember his heart transplant was shown on Good Morning America when they were doing a feature on heart transplants. And my parents called me into school late that day, where as a sixth grader, I watched the heart of a 19-year-old male motorcycle accident victim go into my uncle live on television. Um, Scott Pollard has the challenge, obviously, of a man his size. You know, it is not difficult or it is not easy, I should say, to find any time a match when you factor in blood type and other such things. But uh, he is awaiting that transplant. He, like me, has a family heart history that kind of star-crossed him from the beginning, and he had a medical ailment of late that put him into a heart failure where he is in need of a heart transplant. I'm not saying that any of you out there obviously would, you know, be even of the size, and obviously a heart transplant comes posthumously. But Indiana Donor Network is a place where you can find out more information about being a donor. Um, very easy to do. You can always, you, there is no age limitation. There is no age. Um, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are, uh, to be a, an organ donor and you can save with organ donation. You can save, you know, up to 75 lives with tissue donation, up to eight lives with organ donation and continue a legacy by simply checking a box. When you go to the license branch, for example, and get your driver's license. But Indiana Donor Network, who sponsors JMV's Takeover and is actively involved with different things in this radio station, a tremendous organization where you can find out more about being an organ donor. But we certainly wish the best goes without saying for Scott Pollard. All right, NBA trade deadline coming up 3 o'clock. We will continue that discussion and keep an eye on it here in the final hour of the show. JMV Live, as you just heard him talking about at Whiskey Business Southport Road. Still have an hour to get down there and enjoy a cold beverage or a Diet Coke, which is also cold. And fabulous, by the way, fantastic burgers at Whiskey Business. Southport Road, JMV will be there at three. Yeah, but. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey, we're missing you. Buddy Heald on his way to Philadelphia, traded today by the Pacers. If you look back at the 2020 NBA draft, 
Now, that was the COVID draft. So, you know, Tyrese Halliburton was telling us he had never met Adam Silver because he was drafted during COVID. So all of these players were denied the opportunity to hear their name called. And even though Adam Silver does it now, we naturally do it all in the David Stern voice. But think about this draft in 2020. Anthony Edwards first overall. Kudos to Minnesota because, and I know Edwards was was thought through the process to be exactly that, but he is obviously an elite level player. But man, after that, James Wiseman goes second overall to Golden State. Then LaMelo Ball, good player, might be a 2025 guy. Patrick Williams, Isaac Okoro, who's in Cleveland, serviceable. I apologize that I'm not going to be able to say this guy's name because it always trips me up. Onyeka Onyeka Okongwu. Onyeka Okongwu. You would think doing auto racing play-by-play that I would have like an ability with names that are unconventional sometimes and can trip you up that I would be able to do it. Uh, Onyeka Okongwu. But uh, of Atlanta, he was a six-pick. Then, Killian Hayes to Detroit. The seventh overall pick. And the Detroit Pistons, who have won probably, what, seven games? And they are trading the guy that they took seventh overall four years ago. That That's a sign. Oh, they just waved him. Or they waved him. That's right. They just, Which is they worse, just released by the him. Way. They released him. You're correct, <laughs> right? But here's the other thing that's fascinating about the 2020 NBA draft. The eighth pick of the draft. With the eighth pick and the 2020 NBA draft, the New York Knicks select Obi Toppin from the University of Dayton. That was eighth, right? Two picks later, Jalen Smith to the Phoenix Suns. Two picks later, Tyrese Halliburton to the Sacramento Kings. Two picks later, Aaron Neesmith to the Boston Celtics. And as we'd mentioned, all those guys now obviously Pacers. But going back to, this just shows the NBA trade deadline to me shows the crapshoot nature of the draft. Because every night when I watch, or every year when I watch the NBA draft, I watch these guys coming up there and getting on the stage and then they show the little vignette of them and they're like, you know, he's a coach on the floor. He's He's got length. He's got great upside, great motor, sees the floor. High it's ceiling. High ceiling, all those things, right? And I watch it and I think to myself, okay, some of these guys you're never going to hear from again. Some of these guys are, you're going to look at and say, how in the world did they go then? And some of these guys are just destined to become trade deadline fodder. You know, trade deadline fodder. Here's another one that fits into that mold at this point. Because all players reach a point in their career where they're trade deadline fodder, right? How about Kelly Olenek? He's probably been traded three times today. You know what I mean? Yeah. He probably got up and called his agent or his real estate agent. And he's like, listen, don't do me a favor. Don't. Don't click reserve on the U-Haul truck just yet. You know, he does short-term leases, actually. That's what he's a big big fan of. I would 
Hazard to guess that's true. <laughs> and he probably has Airbnb in six different markets, right? <laughs> yes. And I've told this story before, but this is my my the story that fascinates me about the NBA trade trade deadline. I, I, I the whole concept is and I get it. I mean, you know when you go into it and you sign up for it, you know what you're getting into. And you are paid very handsomely. Very handsomely, right? To be able to tolerate and put up with, like just the the, but think about this. Think about if you are, give me a team off the top of your head, Jimmy Cook. The Oklahoma City Thunder. Okay, so you play for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and let's just say that the Thunder have they've got a home game tomorrow night and they're off tonight. I don't know if they do, but I'm just saying, work with me here, right? So they have that, and so you work, you play for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and you go into the Apple Store because you got to get your phone fixed. And they're like, "Well, actually, sir, you have to make an appointment." And you're like, uh, "Okay." And also, you got to go two states over. Sorry, couldn't help myself. <laughs> What's I'm sure there's an Apple Store in Oklahoma. I was That's just, right. I was That's right. They got. Sorry, we got to go to Texas. <laughs> you know what I mean? We've got we've got a Nokia store here in Oklahoma, <laughs> right? But at any rate. You make that appointment and you're like good to go and then all of a sudden it's like oh by the way you just got traded and you've got an hour to get to the airport because you are on your way to Phoenix. What? Okay. And I know that sounds crazy. Is that the most inconvenient thing you could be doing? Like I I think oh, like getting a I car had to do wash it yesterday. Maybe. No, 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 not going to the Apple store. What's the most inconvenient activity you could be doing and you get the phone call that hey you have an hour and a half to get to the airport? Well, getting a car wash? Maybe. I mean, Spiro Agnew probably has a thought on that. Um, there are probably a few not not for mention that are arable. Mention, that right? are arable. Yeah, of yeah the, let's, of the let's keep it in that category. Uh, Dennis office. Oh yes. How about that? How about this? Oh oh, at the DMV. Oh, you're, boy. You're, you're, it's your yeah, turn. Yeah, yeah. You're one number away. No, you gotta go. I'm sorry. You gotta go. I've been here for an hour and a half. So. This is my favorite like trade deadline story. And it comes to me secondhand, admittedly. But it was later confirmed by the subject matter of it. The late Eric Montross, who I believe is being referenced for the second time today. But the late Eric Montross was playing for, and I'm, I'm looking over, here it is. He was with Philadelphia. And on December 18th of 1997... Eric Montross was with the Philadelphia 76ers. This is back when teams flew, not commercial, but they flew like charter out of airports itself. Like at, So you would go actually to the airport. So Eric Montross shows up at the Philadelphia airport because the Sixers had an away game, like on the 18th or whatever, and, he's go- and so he gets at the airport and he's going up the escalator to the area where you like you go and you board the the plane and he's going up the escalator and he sees coming down the escalator his teammate Jerry Stackhouse fellow North Carolina Tar Heel Jerry Stackhouse Montross is going up the ele- the escalator Stackhouse is coming down it and Montross thinks to himself like oh like he's probably getting something to eat or getting a coke or whatever so he just gives it the like what's up and Stackhouse, as they're passing on the escalators, says, 
Yeah, dude, uh, when you get to the top, go ahead and come back down. You and I just got traded. We're on our way to Detroit. We got to go down and catch a different plane. So he gets to the top of the escalator. It's like, what? Goes back down the escalator. Stackhouse is waiting for him at the bottom of the escalator. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, man, they just traded us to Detroit for Aaron McKee and Theo Ratliff. Okay. Hadn't gotten a call from the agent. Hadn't got a call from the team. Nothing. And, and then you hear about players that hear about it on Twitter. X, whatever you want to call it, or like on, you know, the, the ESPN ticker. But can you imagine if you, and, and trust me, I mean, it would be, you're playing in the NBA. I get it, right? But what if you were like a tenured guy? What if you were a guy that had been in a market for, you know, like Jeff Foster when he was at the Pacers forever? And then you've got kid let's say you have like a, a a child that's old enough to be in school like probably of kindergarten age or whatever but you know you bought a house you're living in Carmel or Westfield or you know Center Grove area and you got a nice place and you're comfortable and then all of a sudden oh by the way you're moving what i you know i mean yeah and that people lose the fact that i get it we're dealing with monopoly money and superstars and people that aren't normal human beings because the lifestyle that they live is being a professional athlete, but you can't get lost the human element of it all. Correct. And that lives get disrupted at multiple different phases of an NBA season. The offseason during free agency, that one's a little bit more in your control because you are the one that is going to different teams or they're, they're suiting you, they're pursuing you. When you get into the grind of the NBA season and you're focused on growing as a player and you're focused on achieving goals within your unit, and then that's ripped away from you in the blink of an eye because it's a business, there are human aspects of it that get lost, of no longer being a part of that community, having to sell your house. A lot of people don't have, they don't buy houses for that reason. They stay, like we joked about, Airbnb or short-term leases or whatever. But that's all done to create less of a hassle for them than, oh man, I just bought a house Last week, and now you're trading me? Like that That's the reality of what can happen. Your entire world can be, be upended. And yes, the money makes it easier and the lifestyle makes it easier, but then you're asked to adjust immediately within 24 hours sometimes, and now you're in a new city with a new team and expected to perform immediately at a high level. It, it's Aaron emotional Neesmith day. told us that he gets like a, they got like a stipend to figure out their housing yeah. for a while. But I do know this, and, and I would assume... This is still the case with the Indiana Pacers. To give just background as to what happens to players on a trade deadline day. I can't speak for the way it operates with Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan currently, but I would assume just based on the secession, if you will, that that the, the same holds true. I know that in the the era in which Donnie Walsh and then Larry Bird were running the franchise and making those decisions, that when a player was on an expiring deal like Buddy Heald and that there was the possibility that a player was in fact going to be traded, that Donnie Walsh would ask said player at the beginning of the season, are there any markets where you would not want to be traded? And they would, if a player said, I do not want to go to insert name of a team, Donnie, Donnie would say to them, okay, then then in the possibility that you were going to be traded, I will do everything I can to not take offers from that team. And then additionally, if there was a player that discussions were becoming serious, 
he would call the player in and say, I want you to know that there is a possibility we're going to trade you. I don't want you to be caught off guard, and these are the four or five teams that are of interest where you would be going. I know that he has always said that the only player where he did not do the latter, and he has always regretted it, was when Jalen Rose was sent with Travis Best to Chicago. He did not in advance discuss with Jalen Rose and he has always regretted, I know that, and I mean, he and I think the two of them have talked, but he's always said that was my one regret is I, I felt like I wronged him because I did not give him advance notice that he was being traded to Chicago. But that was the trade that landed the Pacers, Ron, um, Ron Mercer, Ron Artest. So Rose and Best went to Chicago for, they were after Brad Miller, and they got Kevin Ollie, Ron Mercer, Ron Artest in that trade and our test was the one that Chicago basically said, like, hey, and Chicago gave them advance of some of the challenges that Ron Artest had. But I do think that players have a general idea. Like Buddy Heald, I don't think Buddy Heald got up this morning and was walking into fresh time and all of a sudden somebody called him like, by the way, dude, you're going to Philly. What? I mean, I think he was probably given a heads up. Now, no matter how well intended the organization is, because there's some bad organizations out there. Not everybody takes the time like Donnie Walsh clearly did to make sure their players are aware of everything. But in the social media age, you have to be as efficient as possible because otherwise, even if you're well intended to try to notify the player, you're right, Jake, that exact thing could happen. You could see a Shams or a Woj tweet right before the phone call comes from the organization. That's just the reality of the digital age we live in. Sometimes it's hard, even if you're of the most well-intentioned franchise to prevent leaks to get to the player first before he finds out. Now the so back to the trade that so far is the only real involvement for Indiana today, and that is that Buddy Heald is on his way to Philadelphia. What we talked about earlier, and let's recap it. It is my opinion, Buddy Heald, when he came to Indiana, came as part of the Tyrese Halliburton trade, and has been a really good player in the NBA. He is one of the elite shooters from the outside and quick triggered shooters in the association. Twelve points per game. $17.5 million or so for this season, expiring contract. And the Pacers had had negotiations with Buddy Heald about re-signing and staying with Indiana beyond this season. Obviously, Buddy Heald did not – they were not the terms that Buddy Heald was looking for. And so Buddy Heald, I think there were overtures to try to bring him back, but the problem for Buddy Heald was this. And if the Pacers were the biggest fans ever of Buddy Heald, the challenge they ran into was this, and that is that the Pacers and Buddy Heald were not on the same timeline at no fault of either one. The Indiana Pacers a year ago, I've said this many times, I'll repeat it again. The Indiana Pacers a year ago basically said, we are going to start at the very beginning all over again. We've seen some of Tyrese Halliburton, and we really like the way that this guy plays, especially his ability to let players play above the rim. And we need guys that are like on the other end of lob specialists, if you will. And so they got Obi Toppin, and they had excitement about Isaiah Jackson, and they really liked what they saw in Andrew Nimhard. And they loved Benedict Matherin and his moxie. Benedict Matherin is the one guy that like he's just got like kind of some some dog in him where like he just wants to go in and compete like hell. 
And all of those are young players. And so I think the Pacers looked at it and said, we need to let this young group gel together. And it's going to be a probably three-year project. And they played really well, and that accelerated the timeline. I think to use an analogy within this market would be the Colts. When the Colts drafted Andrew Luck, the Colts aired in this area. Understandably so. But Andrew Luck in his rookie year was so good, and Reggie Wayne was playing well and everything else, that they pushed in too early, and they never let it organically grow. And so instead of allowing younger players to truly blossom, they said, Griggs is wheeling and dealing back in the Brinks truck. And they went out and they got Andre Johnson and Frank Gore and they accelerated their timeline. And then all of a sudden you had inconsistencies within the roster of players that were off the cliff, players that were on their way off the cliff, and then players that were like, wait a minute, my first couple of years I didn't really get reps because you brought in these other guys. So the Pacers, I think, because they were so above where we thought they'd be a year ago, were probably tempted to do the same thing and accelerate their timeline. And Buddy Heald helps you right now, no question. If the Pacers want to make a push in the playoffs this year, Buddy Heald is necessary to do that because he is an outside shooter. And he brings something to the table that is different. There are two things he brings to that table that no one else brings to the table. Number one, he can shoot at an elite level. And number two, He is very close to and a comfort blanket to Tyrese Halliburton. But Halliburton came here. Buddy Heald was the guy. Halliburton was genuinely hurt. Halliburton was genuinely disappointed and genuinely bothered by being traded from Sacramento. But when he came to Indiana, he came with Buddy Heald, who was his kind of security blanket. But Halliburton's outgrown needing that security blanket now. And Buddy Heald was fabulous in that regard in helping Tyrese Halliburton acclimate and become the centerpiece of the franchise. But Halliburton now is re-signed and committed. And I hate to say it to sound totally like the, the bottom line of the business, but in terms of keeping Tyrese Halliburton comfortable so that he will sign here long term, that's not needed anymore. And in terms of an elite-level shooter, which is tapered off a little bit, not in its percentage, but in the rapidity with which it comes, Buddy Heald, now past the age of 30, is now all of a sudden Andre Johnson or Frank Gore. And by that, I mean Buddy Heald is a player who, while he is still productive, the level of production he's going to give you and the window with which he gives it does not jive with the timeline of Indiana organically growing and watering its own in-house seeds. And that's Benedict Matherin. Andrew Nimhard and the monetary commitment it's going to take to have those guys beyond this season. Buddy Heald is, as you mentioned, a piece that was to some extent tied to the hip with Tyrese Halliburton because that was the player that Tyrese Halliburton first knew when he arrived in the NBA when Sacramento selected him. They were accompanied with one another when that trade happened to bring him to Indiana. And Tyrese Halliburton was clear the last couple days going to bat for Buddy Heald. A couple things with that sentiment. You are correct that they now have Tyrese Halliburton committed long-term. I would give a cautionary word, and I don't think this is 
a danger zone for the Pacers whatsoever. But superstars in the NBA, or as they become superstars, begin to want to feel heard, begin to want to feel valued outside of just money. They want to know that the organization is doing everything they can to supply the star player with everything he needs for them all to collectively achieve their goals. I'm going to throw out a team just for the data point. I think the Pacers have already done more than this team did in this specific superstar's tenure. The Portland Trailblazers lost Damian Lillard, who was committed to being there, it appeared, the entirety of his career. He wasn't going to be a championship chaser. He was an old soul of a new NBA where people just go and try to go get rings wherever they can, and if they feel their franchise is failing them, they're going to leave. And I don't blame players for that. That's their power. That's the way the league has shifted. But Damian Lillard forced his way out of Portland when, to the common man, the team holds the contract rights. They don't need to make a trade. They don't need to acquiesce to him. They What are they doing? But the way the NBA works is the players hold the power And if there's enough pressure there, a player is going to be dealt. I use that as a data point because the Pacers have already far and away helped Tyrese Halliburton, which is why I'm not worried about the Buddy Heald move being a ramification down the line. They acquired Pascal Siakam. They have shown that they are committed to building this thing the right way. That said, it cannot be understated that Tyrese Halliburton was probably hurt by this move because of the love that he has for Buddy Heald as a teammate because of the fact that he has gone to bat for him, I am sure the Pacers on the front end talked to him before this move happened. I have no doubt they said, hey, this is our outline. This is the best plan for you and the team moving forward. And I don't think there's any real damage from this. But it's worth noting the fact that this is a player that Tyrese Halliburton has had a strong connection with and the Pacers made a decision that they feel like this is in the best interest of the team. I have no doubt Tyrese Halliburton was on board with it. I think they're going to be a better team for it based on what they're able to do, both from a roster construction standpoint and where their vision is for their young players, like Benedict Matherin, like Ben Shepard, and Jarris Walker to a different extent, but not directly tied to Buddy Heald. But it is an interesting circle-the-date moment of what do the Pacers do now with this roster Because you're right, Jake, they have Tyrese Halliburton. They don't have to worry about him not re-signing, but they do have to worry about, to some extent, making sure he's heard and keeping him happy. Because if you don't do that in this league, and he continues to ascend the way that we think he's going to ascend, the players wind up having all the power at the end of the day, and that's just not a back and forth you want to have yourself put through in, something the Pacers have experienced with superstars before. You know, a really good point, that Josh just sent me on Twitter, which is true, um, is the fact that they it, it's odd that they would send Buddy Heald to Philly. I, I mean, they may have had limited options, or it might have been that that was the best offering they got back. But to send it to a team with which you're kind of running alongside with in the traffic jam of the East you is absolutely right? Yes. And for the Pacers, and I want your thoughts on this, you keep highlighting, rightfully so, the vision that the Pacers outlined a year ago, saying this is a rebuild, and this is a process that's going to take time and be patient with us. And they were fully transparent about that from the get-go. For me, the timeline didn't accelerate 
but the expectations for what this team can still do, even without Buddy Heald, changed when they went and got Pascal Siakam because he is a player that is going to take up a large chunk of your cap, just like Tyrese Halliburton is. And those are two pieces combined with other money you have allocated, like to Miles Turner, who's going to make like $20 million next year. Your books are pretty full as things are. I don't personally believe, without Buddy Heald, this team is not still equipped post-Pascal Siakam trade to be a 6 or even a 5 seed this year, especially with Philadelphia potentially being in free fall with Joel Embiid's future this season uncertain. Do you still view them as a team as currently constructed that can be out of the play-in? Because I do. Even post-Buddy Heald, I think they're still equipped to no, do I that. No, I think it's fair, especially with Siakam, to yes. your point, right? What this does is it allows you some flexibility with Siakam in particular moving forward. You know, it's still it's still a roster in flux, right? Mm-hmm. It's still a roster in flux. Um, but yes, I do think still, I don't think it... Because I think when people hear... And Heald had kind of regressed a little yes, bit, right? Right. I think when people hear you bring up the plan, which is in place for the Pacers to build this thing the right way, it makes it seem like and I'm not misrepresenting what you're saying, I'm just saying how it could be interpreted, that this is a a white flag move. That They're no longer going all in for this season in the way that maybe Pacers fans thought they were. I think with that Siaka move, it's a clear sign. We're not there yet, but we're, we're ready to play. We're ready to make some noise within the East. Maybe we're not a contender. Maybe we're still a piece away. Maybe we're a Bennett Matherin growth year away. But when I hear the Buddy Heald trade and then hear the plan they have in place, it makes me think, are they still on the path to, no, this is a legit playoff team? And I think they are. Glenn will lead us off on the other side because I want to get fan reaction, actually. Shannon said to me last night, and I don't know what I should make of this, but Shannon said, you know when I think your show's the best is when you take callers and other people talk. <laughs> really? Okay. The only way I, you should I enjoy be, it. The only way you should be concerned is if the next time you're hanging out, if there's just a gap of silence for about five minutes and she says, <laughs> you know, I really like us best when there's no talking going can, on. Can we call Paul the director of Giddy? I like things better when he's talking. Two three nine ten seventy is the telephone number, and I would like your thoughts on Buddy Heald's departure and the direction of the Pacers right now. Are you bummed? Are you down with it? Let us know. Glenn will lead us off, but we'll do it on the other side. There's too many. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Buddy songs that we play the today that make it seem fog. like Buddy Healed has passed. Like, there's too, too much true. of the tone of the Buddy it's songs or that we've lost Buddy Heald. How are you sitting at the main table with the Velvet Fog? Well, I met this Mr. Dean's Fry, and he's very impressed by what I do. So all I know is I'm sitting at the head table with Mr. Mel Torme. That's a Seinfeld reference, by the way. Buddy Heald on his way to Philly. Thoughts, reaction. We will begin, by the way, with... We got to go with Matthew. Actually, no, I said Glenn was going to lead us off. Sorry, Glenn will lead us off. I got to stand true to my word. Hi, Glenn. Sorry about that. How are you? Hello? Glenn, you got it? Glenn, you're on. What's up? Yeah, hey, this is Dan. Um, oh, sorry, so Dan. I am concerned that uh, we held make a team in our conference a little stronger. Uh, but I have two questions. Uh, one has to do with defense, but let me start off with Heald's contract. Do we know 
what the offer was to him for next year. I'm going to assume it was two years in the neighborhood of 25 to 30 million, but I don't know that. I'm just speculating. Yeah, I don't know definitively, Dan. I think it was closer to like 20 or 22, but I could be totally wrong in that um, in terms of the years, but I think it was, or in terms of the salary, but I think it was the salary number that that was where they were off. And I would imagine that he probably wanted more than two years. And I'm wondering, you know, what, what his actual, you know, uh, possibilities are for next year. Is it a chance we might even be able to offer a, a new contract in the offseason if he realizes that uh, he won't get as much as he thinks he might? I, that, the second part there, Dan, you are kind of speaking my language because I wondered the same. I thought, you know what? I mean, it's not unprecedented, right, where a player leaves and then all of a sudden they, they end up back and you're like, I mean, Lance Stevenson. Here's the problem with that. And I am right on this. Eddie and I had a debate about it, and I just did research, figure it out. So bird rights are what's attached to a player that allow the team that owns the bird rights to go over the cap to retain them, regardless of their status as a free agent. Buddy Heald's an unrestricted free agent this coming offseason. The Pacers are going to be cap-strung once the deals with Pascal Siakam, assuming that happens, which again, we have that as a thought across Pacers world that that's going to happen. That's a foregone conclusion. So you have Siakam and you have Tyrese Halliburton's rookie extension kick in. They are not going to have space to have virtually any flexibility outside of a trade, as we learned from Tony East earlier, to acquire a high-level piece this coming offseason. If the intent was to bring Buddy Heald back, it would have been better to keep him because you could then utilize the bird rights, go over the cap to re-sign him, versus now the 76ers own those bird rights. And if a team gives a deal of any kind to heal that's significant, the Pacers would be unable to match it and get into a bidding war due to their cap situation. The best bet for them, if they wanted Buddy Heald back next season, would have been to keep him and have the bird rights. I'm with you, Jake. I think... Whatever the extension conversations they had went to a point where the Pacers were of a clear understanding we're not going to be able to retain Buddy Heald's services in the offseason. Matthew, who I met on, I believe it was Sunday. Matthew, first off, I know a lot of people have been asking me about this. In ter- You still need a bed frame, right? Is that all we have left? Uh, yes, I believe so. So you have, your place is furnished. Uh, I got to meet both your dog, July, is the name of the dog, right? Yep. Reba, was that the cat's name or Ruby? I can't remember. Ruby. Ruby, okay. So I met Ruby in July. We got your place furnished. Uh, We got some people to contribute. So bed frame for a full-size bed, all you have left in your palace, right? Yep. All right. We're going to do what we can still on the bed frame. Uh, Your thoughts on the Buddy Heald trade? Oh, I mean, I just got here, so I guess I won't miss him since I barely knew him. <laughs> so are we blaming you? Are Buddy Hill fans blaming you, Matthew? I, I mean, they can if it makes it easier. I'll Did you pass it, Buddy on the interstate on the drive-in? <laughs> <laughs> I might have. But listen, you, Matthew, you are a Colts fan through and through. You've adopted Purdue. Are you in on the Pacers yet, Matthew? I am. I haven't seen them yet. They're not the easiest team to watch on television. Yeah, you got to have the uh, – now, my understanding is there's – now, you guys can discuss this. 
All right, so real quick though, Matthew, thumb up, thumb down on the trade. You're saying thumbs up though, right? Yes. Okay, Matthew, thumbs up on the trade. Uh, still need full-size bed frame. Uh, this story that came out yesterday, Jimmy, about all of the streaming apps, the confluence of them all coming together. You guys are younger than I. I still use rabbit ears. Uh, take me through what that means in terms of does that affect – I don't think it does, does it, like Bally Sports. It's more the network stuff, right? Yeah, so it sounds like it's going to be network programming, potentially MLB postseason games, maybe even NBA playoff games in one housed units when this streaming partnership gets together. But it's ESPN, Fox Sports, and TNT. And for a consumer's perspective, there's still not a ton of information down on price points on what this is going to be impacted on. But usually when you see networks like this in the sports media rights age come together, one would think there's some type of impact of needing a subscription to be able to watch set events, a la Peacock, whenever you see the Big Ten or that NFL playoff game that was on there exclusively. Is that the path that's going to take shape in the coming years? Are we trending towards an era where networks in partnership with leagues are pushing more people towards online streaming, which would at that point as well have a negative impact on traditional cable users, even though myself, I'm, I'm a part of the generation that has cut the cord that are using these streaming services. So that question mark, which is big for a lot of people that are used to watching television a certain way, is still unknown, but one would think this is probably another step towards that down the line. All right, let's try it. Now, do we know for a fact this is Dan or is it Glenn? <laughs> <laughs> My other question has well, no, to yeah, this is Dan. Is this the same Dan? Same Dan. Had oh. a question about defense. Okay. Uh, we've got a plethora of shooters which made healed expendable. My question is, uh, what about Cork Motts or Morris? I think Cork Motts is a bit of a defensive specialist, which is what we need, and how well those two can help us defensively, I think is what's going to make this deal a good deal or not. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. Um you know, listen. In regards to court months, with how this roster is constructed, if he's making significant defensive contributions, it's it's, it's clearly off the bench. It's in a well, yeah. It's in a seven to eight. He has minute not type played more than twenty seven right. minutes in any game right. in his NBA career. Um, I was about to say, yeah, if he was a defensive prowess on that side of the floor, you would think he'd be able to get on the floor with Nick Nurse. I don't think Morris would have the best chance. The two of them, but I don't think either one of these pieces are players that you look at for this season. And we can debate what happens with them in the off season later. What happens with them this season, any of their contributions are as bench players. Maybe I would say this. Start. It's the, not a starting piece. Dan, the best way to say it is this. Marcus Morris probably adds has a little more intrigue because of his 40% three-point shooting career. Um, he's a bigger body. But both of them, while I totally agree with Dan's point, I think the safest way to say it is that if there is defensive contribution for either player who has been acquired – both of those contributions would be situational yeah. as opposed to consistently rotational, but rather situational. Greg. Greg, what's up? What's up, guys? You're looking uh, at it. I am not – I'm not like a huge fan of this deal. Uh, in every other sport that we talk about, you don't trade, you know, uh, somebody from the Texans is available. Oh, the Colts aren't going to make that move because they're in the division. Or baseball, you hear a lot about that. I'm not a big fan of giving somebody – I mean, obviously, we have liked Buddy Heald here. We've just given a team that's lost their superstar potentially for the rest of the season 
and given them a weapon, a team that's ahead of the Pacers in the standings. So that's that's the part I don't – I'm confused by that. It's a little head-scratcher to me, and I'm not a huge fan of it. However, I will say that Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan have really never given us a reason to doubt the moves that they've made. I mean, second day that Chad Buchanan's here, he trades Paul George. The they, they they got Victor Old Depot traded Old Depot got the bonus traded you know and so so here we are in a situation of a rebuild and everything and it's all worked so I I have a hard time like I'm not a fan of it but I have a hard time questioning it like if that's if that's yeah in sense. other words they've earned the benefit of the doubt right I mean quite frankly sure. and listen Kevin Pritchard is Greg I appreciate it and go roll another three hundred he's probably had like that's why I said that's Mister three hundred right there that is that's right. Um, what is, is that? A water bottle you you got there? Yeah. Oh, I thought you picked up a. Remember the selfie sticks that were all the rage for like six months? Oh yeah. I thought you picked up one of those. I'm like, what do you take? Um, Kevin Pritchard's very aggressive in trades, no doubt about it, and his trade acumen is probably a higher score in totality than his draft acumen. Although his drafts have been good lately. Very I thought good. it was a uh, Chad Buchanan who made that Pascal Siakam trade. That's right. Magic Johnson said that, right? Yeah. You know my my thought on that. Um, is when Magic Johnson gave credit to Chad Buchanan for that trade and Kevin Pritchard quote tweeted it, I thought it was he could have let that one go. Let Chad Buchanan have his moment. Regardless of offensive or defensive prowess for this team, whichever camp you're in, this move with Buddy Heald and the idea that this is still a team that is building things the right way, building around a young core, even though they have better expectations currently than they did to start the season because of the acquisition of Pascal Siakam. In my mind, by season's end, you're starting five, and I don't care who the fifth one is. You could pick any any of the of Nemhard or Neesmith. It's Turner, it's Siakam, it's Halliburton, it's Matherin, and then pick your fifth. That's fair. That 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 is what this tell if everything grows the right way, that is where this lineup should and, be. And I think by the, the thing the they have yet to determine, Jimmy, is is Matherin in that mix, or does Matherin become your Joe Dumars punch right off the bench, right? If he your does... Vinny Johnson, I guess, better way of saying If he does this season, it might very well work with how they're constructed. But with their cap situation, if they want a third star without gutting the roster, the best place for it to happen is internally with Matherin. If right. next season by this time at the deadline, we're talking about Matherin as Joe Dumars versus your third best option offensively, there's problems. By the way, JMV, Whiskey Business, fabulous burgers, by the way. Southport Road, he's going to be there starting at 3 o'clock, so you still got time to get down, get yourself situated for that. We'll come back. We will let you know if anything happens in the next 15 minutes with the trade deadline quickly approaching. Query and Company here on a Thursday, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- this is how I win. Before we get to the plays of the day, the Pacers are apparently not done yet. We got some breaking news. That is correct. Eddie, you got the sounder? Former Pacers sharpshooter now back to being Pacers sharpshooter. Perhaps they realized they could use somebody to hit the, some threes. Second round pick, I believe is what it is, that and, is on its way to and, San Antonio. And Marcus Morris per Shamstrania. And Marcus Morris recently acquired to San Antonio for McBuckets. Doug McDermott. McDermott coming back to the Indiana Pacers. 
And then on a caveat to it, the Spurs per Shamsterani are likely to buy out Marcus Morris. So again, this is just the chaos that is trade deadline day. That said, we are going to roll the dice and play some NBA bets. I got this earlier. This just closed, though, I assume, because the Pacers just made a deal. Give me over 28.5 total points plus assists for Tyrese Halliburton tonight in their final home game before the All-Star break because they welcome in the Golden State Warriors. In that same game, I'm going to lay 5.5 on the Pacers to cover the number against Golden State. But I do think for all the... What do you refer to them as? The uh, the, the Carmel Youth Hoopers? Jake, is that, is that what you... Carmel Pups. The Carmel Pups. They'll be happy. Curry goes for over 28.5 total points this evening, though the Pacers do win and cover the 5.5. By the way, we gave that Wisconsin pick last night with the utmost confidence over Michigan, leg 5.5. Michigan wins by 4. Jake, what was your text to us last night when I shared that news with you? <laughs> That's why I don't gamble, brother. <laughs> Eddie, do you have anything? Uh, I went one and zero yesterday. I haven't looked at this, but what is the uh, the line on Jonathan Kaminga? Give me thirty seconds, please. The line is one eight hundred nine with <laughs> that it. is the phone line. number. Jonathan Kaminga points for points is over twenty and a half. Give me that. All right. So Eddie taking Jonathan Kaminga of the Warriors over 20 and a half total points. We're, that college basketball is so difficult, especially this time of year. I was right there with you. Wisconsin coming off right there with Purdue, going to Michigan as a dumpster fire. Line was five and a half. Figured they're going to get rolled. They're going to roll Michigan. Instead, they lose by four. Surprise, the Pacers were not, in fact, done. Able to make one more move, and it sounds like we'll wait for the final details to come out, but a very brief stop for Marcus Morris going now in the annals of Pacers that were but were not getting dealt and then redealt. Marcus Morris got just enough time to walk the canal before going to Riverwalk <laughs> and then having to just jump in altogether, right? Let me tell you guys something. In two weeks from tomorrow, I'm going to Las Vegas, right? You guys both know this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to Las Vegas because I'm going to see you two in the sphere. The sphere, I believe, is one point four or one point five billion. That's with a B dollars to build. It is a huge arena that the interior and exterior of it are like the the highest grade LED computerized lights ever. And I met with somebody last night, my buddy Jeff Page. We had dinner. He was showing us because he had been to the show. He'd gone to a couple things. Just got back from Vegas. Was sharing with us what to look for and the videos and whatever else, the photos. And we were talking about the Strip. The three of us have talked about this a lot. We've been to Vegas a lot, have the three of us over the years. Not together, but separately. And when you walk the Strip now, he was telling me like there's one area where there's construction around the Venetian, and if you don't do it correctly, you walk like four miles around the Venetian as opposed to just going across the street and going up and over and whatever else. And you're seeing shows that are unbelievable, and there are you know tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people there and, you know, you can eat at Fat Burger at 3 o'clock in the morning or any of the buffets and just the nonstop river of liquid guilt and remorse and energy and excitement that is Las Vegas. And all of that. And the huge light on top of the Luxor and the skyline of New York, New York and the mock Eiffel Tower of Paris and the stratosphere, all of that in the desert was built 
because there are people out there that took Wisconsin as a lock, stock, and barrel against the Michigan Wolverines. I was wondering where the plane was going to land. Well done. <laughs> all of that. Ain't none of that being built by people winning. It's always, always, always in favor of the house. But I do enjoy me some roulette. So Doug McDermott, uh, that's interesting to come back. You know, obviously, and I've got to see what his contractual status is. Is he on an expiring, do we know? My guess would be yes, but give me one second to double-check it for you. I mean, it adds, at the very least, another shooter to some extent. McDermott, when he was here before, you know, obviously he can shoot the basketball, but it always seemed like he was just, like, never really in flow with what they wanted to do. Unrestricted in 24. Yeah. Now, I mean... He makes sense because of the way that they move the ball around the three-point arc and the way that they're able to get shots. You know, I mean, it it does make sense to have a shooter. I'm not saying he's the one. I'm not saying who knows if he's going to be the answer, right? It's nice to have a piece that is reliable that would fit in with some of your second unit stuff that Buddy healed with where things were trending. That's what you were losing, right? You were losing a piece off the bench to be a sharpshooter. In theory, that's what Doug McDermott would be able to be for you Again, on an expiring deal. Final minute of the show, but he's been waiting patiently, so let's get Jonah in real quick. Jonah, you got about 30 seconds, but like it or don't like it now that you've heard all the moves? Um, I, I, I like it more than I don't like it. it. I don't know if it really moves the needle or not, especially on the defensive end. I, I'm, the two callers beforehand kind of made a point, like what type of uh, defenders that these guys, but now that Morris is gone, that it's kind of irrelevant. But now I, I do like bringing Doug back. So, because, and I, I always appreciate Buddy for what he did, but it's just too many peaks and valleys for a guy that doesn't play defense very well. So Fair. it's just, I think it's kind of a good lateral move. And now the Pacers have like 57 second round picks that you could trade away. Well, Joan, I'll tell you what, the good news for you is with Buddy Heald on his way to Philly, there's an open house on the market for you to buy since Jonah's moving back from Phoenix. We'll find out. We'll get a hold of Biff Ward, find out exactly where Buddy Heald's place was. And, Get them out there. All right, busy day today. Appreciate everybody listening and Eddie spinning all the buddy hits. Again, JMV is up next. He is at Whiskey Business on Southport Road. If you have not been there, it is fabulous. You, of course, can enjoy a cold beverage or a Diet Coke, but you are not going to get better burgers than you're going to get at Whiskey Business. So John is down there. We are back with you tomorrow at noon, talking a little Super Bowl, getting Jimmy finally amped up for that. We'll do a two-minute drill. we got a lot to talk about. We'll do it tomorrow at noon. Thanks for listening.